the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bare their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan... Tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Oh, yeah, baby. How are you, my friend? I want to make a reference that you will get that nobody else got last night. Okay. The 1977 Bears finished the year 6-0 and with the Bob Thomas field goal in the storm at the Meadowlands to get into the playoffs. Because you might be thinking, ah, we don't want to keep Eberflus, though. Well... As Mike North said, he liked Jack Pardee, but Pardee got him into the playoffs and then ran to Washington. Not that Eberflus has a chance to run to another team, but in theory, if he ran the table and made the playoffs, there is precedent before that would say he could still lose the playoff game, not that I want him to, and still you move on from your coach because you say, we got to get better. So what I'm trying to tell Bear fans is just root for them to run the table, man. Like There's no guarantee that Flus would even be brought back well, maybe if he runs a table and wins a playoff game, maybe he won him back. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. We got to see the, how the rest of the season plays out. But I think so many people already have their minds made up on fields or Eberflus or, or, you know, like, I just want the Bears to win. I mean, now, I'm glad Fields is in there, but even if it was Bajan, I'd be rooting for him. Yep, Absolutely. Fuck, if it was Aaron Rodgers as the Bear quarterback, I'd be. Ah, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that motherfucker tore his Achilles. I think he had a a bruise there, and and he's just stretching this thing out for more dramatic purposes. You really do. Well, let me phrase it this way. Do you think that perhaps he exaggerated the extent of the Achilles tear? Yes, because he's 40 years old. An Achilles Mm -hmm. tendon injury for somebody in their 20s is devastating, but... At 40? Yeah. I mean, come on, you're looking at probably at least six to eight months, right? I mean, and he's going to be back already. 
Can't the NFL, oh, that's right, the NFL loves him. Why would they investigate? If you're lying about injuries, in theory, you can be punished, right? That's right. You, you would think that uh, he's a multiple-time offender by now. <laughs> yeah, and of course he turned it into, I saw a clip of it about a week or two ago. I hate, hate, hate that fucker Pat McAfee. He played at West Virginia, actually. Uh, I hate his shows. I, I I just saw a clip on Twitter. Of course, he's dressing some kind of tank top or whatever, like you know. But uh, Rogers is on there, and he starts in with this conspiracy theory shit. Like you know how he was about the the uh, the the vaccines. Mm-hmm. He was trying to say this is yeah the fact I've gotten healthy. It's stuff the league doesn't want you to hear. They're probably going to cut my mic any second now. That's what literally what he was saying. They're gonna they're gonna cut my mic at ESPN. Because they don't want you to know what I did to get back. That's so fucking wild. Yeah, he's I, I, such a fucking right winger. I, I think that he went to New York to rehabilitate his image because that's the you know media capital of the world. And I think that um, you know he's failing in that endeavor. Well, the injury certainly didn't help. If he would have won football games as the Jets quarterback, that would have been the penultimate. Of, of him rehabilitating his image because he could have gotten away with anything in the New York media would have forgiven him. But now, uh, you know, he keeps saying some stupid stuff and I, I, I'm not sure. I, I would love to see what the Q rating is. You know what the Q rating is, right? The Q, uh, QAnon rating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely He's a 100. star over there. It's 100. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's like a, how much people like your personality on TV, your Q rating. I don't know why it's called Q. Uh, and Joe is right. Rogers is a media whore. But I bet you his Q rating, it, it probably is split. 50% of the people out there love him and 50% despise him like you do. <laughs> is that is that good for him? Um, yeah, because it's like the Howard Stern thing. You know, remember the movie Howard Stern where the executives are saying 50% of the people love him and then 50% of the people hate him. But they're the ones watch are uh, listening more uh more minutes how can that be they want to see what outrageous thing he says so. yeah it reminds me of something i've heard wrestling promotions uh, say that you're the the worst thing that they could have is for you to not get a reaction mm-hmm. you know if the guy gets really really hated or really really liked they're one in the same mm-hmm. like if because you're just like no reaction whatsoever that's a death nail yep so i that's guess it. that's good for rogers then Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's why he still does all these ads. You know, he gets attention. Um, by the way, uh, Mr. Shorty asked about my arm. It is progressing nicely. Going to have some pictures taken in a while to make sure the blood flow is as well. Every once in a while, it feels kind of weird, you know. And so I think, well, how old am I now? <laughs> but uh, overall, no complaints, man. But your arm that- still looks like Carl Malone's when he hit Isaiah in the head that time. <laughs> That's and right. busted him open. You still got that big bicep, so that's good. <laughs> Thank you, Heidi. What about you? I, I I'm I'm listening to you and Shorty yesterday on uh, what's the name of that his Monday night show? I should last know. call at Hallis Hall. Last call at Hallis Hall. I tune it in, and you're talking about the last five games, and you know I might not even know if I'll be around next year for games. I'm like, what's he talking about? You want to share with our audience what? I got. Like something in the back of my neck. I mean, uh, the lady friend said that she thought it was a cyst, but so I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. And, and, uh, I kept thinking it'll clear up or something. 
then I started to put heat on it because that's what she told me to do. And I searched on Google and it seemed to be something that it advised. So I was like, all right, but it, it seems to have ex exacerbated. It made it, made it worse. The back of my neck is really sore and it has, it feels like a, a golf ball under, mm -hmm. under the skin. It's like the fucking logo from Caddyshack on the back of my neck. And I'm like, oh my God, what if it's a fucking, like, I need Schwarzenegger to come out from kindergarten cop and say, it's not a tumor. That's exactly what I need right now. But I'm worried about shit like that. Like, am I, I mean, not to be hypochondriac, I'm going to uh, the dermatologist on Thursday, but I'm like, God, what if I have to have surgery or what if it's a cancer thing? You know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's terrifying. You know, I've never had surgery. I don't, I hope they can just like give me antibiotics or it'll be really painful, but just stick something in there and make, you know, and I don't know, get all the pus or whatever the fuck in there out of there, you know? Wow. And you had, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, but recently you had something else that's yeah, that was on my arm. I had to get, um, that thing removed. It wasn't, they said it wasn't cancer though. It was ended up getting it tested in a lab. It was a a skin tag, but it looked like a skin tag that had gone through hell. Every stage of Dante's Inferno, it just looked like, oh my God, if a woman sees that, she'll say like, there's something wrong with this dude. That's like AIDS or something. That's how mm -hmm. bad it looked. It looked like something from the eighties, you know, in like 1982 when like people were dying quickly. It just looked awful and, uh, they removed it and it was okay. And, um, I don't know if it has anything to do with my diet, but okay. Have, have, have you been eating? Uh, somebody uh, for the audio podcast, people, somebody wrote, uh, Rick Wamps wrote, must be your diet. Have you been eating golf balls? No. <laughs> like, other than that, I feel pretty well psychologically. I'm, I'm stressed about it. But yeah, anybody would be. Let me ask you this are, are they about, does it, is it about this size? I can't see it not being sarcastic at all. I I can't, it's in a spot where I literally can't see it. And so I asked the, you know, the female to look at it and she's like, it's under the skin. It's not bad. Don't worry about it, but I can feel it. And it feels like a golf ball to me. C sharp wants to know, maybe you swallow somebody's balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the cum. <laughs> no, I've never been around a guy's balls. This woman obviously swallowed somebody's oh, wow. balls. Yeah. They're, thankfully, I don't have anything like that. Yeah. It's on, wow. the, like I say, it's the back of my neck, right where your hair would, your hairline would stop. Like my hair covers it right now just because I need a haircut. Mm -hmm. But uh, even if I tried to look at it and took a picture in a mirror, it's just an angle that I can't, I can't see. Mm. Joseph might be 100% correct here. It's it's aging. It's just shit happens when you get old. It's like, what, what, what the fuck is this happening? And you go to the doctor, you spend $6,000. Yeah, it's just aging. It's just stress, <laughs> whatever. It's like nothing you can do. Uh, Heidi says, holy shit. Yeah, that, at least that's what I think that emoji means. Uh, C Sharp says, good, Dan. Stay away from the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! What if he's gay and he likes sucking on balls? There's nothing wrong. How they that. know? How they know? <laughs> All right, uh, a couple of quick announcements here. Johnny Santucci has the night off. He's feeling under the weather, uh, so uh, hopefully he's back next week. But take as long as you need to, brother. This is a stressful time of the year, isn't it, Dan? I mean, you know, you you find some ailment. Excuse me. You find some ail ailment on you, and then. Christmas and the work 
and family drama and blah, blah, blah. December it should be called Stress Timber or some shit <laughs> like that. But uh, hopefully uh, the tooch is uh, fine. And uh, we don't have a media mashup uh, for tonight's show. I thought we would do something different given that the Bears had the week off. Uh, we're we're going to look at some video clips of the media talking about the Chicago Bears, and then Dan and I will comment on it. And then at the, uh, the last half-hour show when we usually talk about movies, um, Dan and I are going to talk about supporting actors and supporting characters that we've liked over the years and uh, kind of inspired by a documentary that was produced by HBO. We'll talk more about that in length, but you folks in the chat room who are going to who plan on being with us for the entire two hours, well, in that last 30 minutes, uh, start thinking about character actors, actors that you can put up on, on chat and Dan and I can discuss. Now, regarding uh, the main topic of the night is going on that role. We came off of a very impressive game against the Lions in Detroit. Unfortunately, we didn't finish. Week 12, the game was not that impressive looking, except for the defense. But we managed to pull it off at the end. So, so those two games are almost opposite of each other. So the question now is 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Weeks 14 through 18, can the Bears run this schedule we know we can beat the the lions right dan i mean this this is based on what i saw week 11 we can definitely beat the lions wouldn't you say don't want to pound my chest and sound like mr overconfident because i sort of did that in week 11 and everyone thought i was crazy said there's yep. no way the bears can win and the bears should have won yeah i can't explain what the defense did those last two drives but whatever it was it was wrong the rest of the game they played flawlessly and then so it's at home it's outdoors the bears should win that's the problem you know we worry if the bears go to arlington heights and, and get indoors they could become soft uh and be you know a little dome team and that that's that's what detroit is so mm. i know dan campbell wants to be tough and bites shins or whatever but <laughs> i still say it's going to be tougher for them to be outdoors on grass in december Yep, I agree with you. Uh, before we continue with the rest of the games, I want to acknowledge Heidi. She writes, I've been having a hard time, but I can't miss your show. You make me feel a lot better, guys. Aldo, Dan, and everyone in the chat chat room love you guys. Heidi, we love you too. And uh, let's talk after the show. Maybe you want to come on next week. Maybe that will lift your spirits. And if there's anything at all we at the bar room can do, if you need anything, please let us know and we'll work on uh, 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 We'll work on a way to, to help you out. So uh, let's stay in touch. We know Love one you. thing Heidi does not want to talk movies with us. Uh, <laughs> why is that? Oh, she doesn't see movies. Yeah, yeah. I remember like the last time she was on, yes. we started to talk TV. She's like, okay, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Heidi, I love you. Be well. Get better. But I know you don't like movies. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'm with you on um, on this Sunday's game against the Lions. This is a team, the Lions team has given up a lot of points. Uh, I think 
even Chargers, Saints, going back to week seven, maybe with the Raiders. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they've given up a lot of points. So this Aaron Glenn defense, and I listen to a lot of Dan Campbell's press conferences. He refers to him as AG. AG is going to get a fix. AG is going to get a fix. I don't think AG is going to get a fix. I was critical of Aaron Glenn and uh, Deuce Staley on hard knocks last year. I thought they were kind of clowning around a lot in training camp. Of course, that could have been just the HBO edit, but they didn't instill any confidence in me. Now, Deuce Daly went to New York Jets, and he got fired uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, AG's defense isn't playing very good. So I think that, you know, Danny Shimon made a prediction on Buffon 55. He said that he believes this was before the season. He said he believes that Justin Fields is going to have a game where he passes for 300 yards and rushes for a 100 yards. It could be this week, Dan. What do you think of that? Well, I don't have a lot of uh, confidence in the AG, Mr. Garland. Oh, you weren't talking about him. <laughs> He's the attorney general. I don't either. Trust me. What a dope. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to badmouth Detroit. All I can say is it feels like the Bears – hopefully learn from the giving up those last two possessions and the defense in spite of those two possessions seems to be playing at a much higher level mm -hmm. especially since the trade and and uh you know i think hopefully we get foreman back i think foreman's the best of our three backs right now i really do and pound the rock a little bit take some pressure off justin and you know it's it's at home score some points get the fans behind us uh, i feel the bears can win I, mm -hmm. I feel like it could happen. And then, not to s switch, but I, since our the game we went to Cleveland two and a half years ago, when Justin got sacked nine times, you always have the other team have revenge games on us. I yeah. want that to be Fields' revenge game against Cleveland. And he's going to be playing Joe Flacco, which makes me a lot happier than if he were playing P.J. Walker. Now, granted, uh, Flacco was a Super Bowl MVP. That was a long time ago. Uh, and I don't want to take away from him, but PJ, like still like, I don't, a lot of, I liked PJ. Let me just say mm -hmm. that. So I didn't want him to have his bears revenge game against us in that game. So it makes me, I say that now, but it feels like, okay, we can take Flacco. Yep. I feel like we can take Flacco. We can, we can, and we will. I am predicting two victories right there. Week 14 and 15. My only concern is that it's going to be in the road and that you are going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can, can the Flues win two in a row this week? And can the Bears win two in a row with me at a game? Because <laughs> right. they won the Raiders game, the last game that Heidi and I was at. That's right. Do we need to fly Heidi into Cleveland with you? Is she is, was she the the missing key to having a victory? It, it depends because you and I, we've gone to three games. We're one and two together, right? Is that correct? Let's yeah, see. The we did Dolphins. the Lions, the Lions, the Dolphins, and the Browns. Is that it? No, and the Vikings. Yeah. We did the Vikings game together. Oh, that's right. We <laughs> lost that one too, though. That's when we were trying to lose. Though we were like, "Wait a minute, are we are we scoring? Put Tim Boyle in." <laughs> the yeah, worst quarterback. The worst quarterback since Steve Stenstrom. I'm telling you. Right. When you look back <laughs> at that game, yeah, you're right. Uh, when you look back at that game, that could have been listed as a victory because we got the number one overall pick thanks to that loss and lovey smith's win in texas and that trade with that number one pick can really transform this entire 
franchise. So we're going to talk about that a little later after I play a clip. But back to the schedule, winning five in a row. Then we got at home, back-to-back game. Christmas Eve. Birds. Yeah, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Cardinals and Falcons. Now, these two teams are still in the hunt. Kyler uh, Murray is back at quarterback for the Cardinals. And uh, now the Falcons have been on a roll. They're uh, fighting for an uh, NFC South playoff spot. But I got a feeling that this Chicago Bears team can beat both of those teams. I think the Bears, unless they end up falling on their ass the next couple of weeks, Mm-hmm. I think the Bears will be favored to beat the Cardinals. Yeah, at home uh, on Christmas Eve, and it's going to be a night game. I know it's not like eight thirty, but it'll be it's a three twenty five, three thirty central kickoff. Nice. So most of that game will be in darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you got the early game on New Year's against the Falcons, and then here goes the big question. I, I mentioned this last night. Can you imagine a scenario? Let's say the Bears would run the table and not make it. Mm-hmm. Or let's just say they go 4-1 and one and not make it, whatever. But they go to Lambeau and win? I can't imagine George McCaskey being like, all right, come to my office, I'm firing you. Because they want to beat Green Bay more than we want them to beat Green Bay. <laughs> no. So I, if Blues wants to save his job, he goes up there and beats Green Bay in Week 18, He's got it. That that's part of the recipe for him to stay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so we're already touching touching on some of the topics that I want to uh, react to based on some of the media highlights that we've collected. So let me play one, and we can talk about it. By the way, uh, Bob Angelo, the guy who wrote this book and was one of our favorite. Oh, yeah, uh, good book. Yeah. I, I promised him we, we would have him back here in December. So in case – that doesn't happen. I just want to remind everyone that this is really is a fantastic read. The NFL off camera, an A to Z guide to the league's most memorable players and personalities. And Bob Angelo wrote it. He was a producer, cameraman, writer, and director for NFL films for decades. He's got great little like three, four page stories on people like George Hallis, Walter Payton, Hollywood Henderson. And you can all- search your players in the index. Like Exactly. If you're like, oh, I don't care about, you know, Hollywood Henderson. I want to know what his interactions were with George Hallis. You can just look up whomever and they'll tell you exactly what page he's talking about him on. Yes. And it's a great, and, and I'm not, uh, being, you know, uh, saying something bad towards Bob Angelo. You got me that book and uh, a great book. And, and I got you there at Kramer one. You did, which I've started reading, and it's excellent. we got to have him back on. But I was just going to say real quickly about Angelo's book is it's a great bathroom book, you know, and he has said that himself. So when you go in there for that, you know, 90-second or, in my case, 90-minute shit, (laughs) you can can read some of that stuff. It's great stuff. All right. um, Let us talk about the latest rumor that is going on now. It was reported by Josina Anderson, who was – formerly at ESPN, and I believe she's an an so-called insider now for CBS Sports. She is writing that there is interest at Hallis Hall on Eric the Enemy, the offense coordinator for the uh, Washington Commanders, formerly with the Kansas City Chiefs. Did you hear about this, Dan? No, but, and again, I don't want to make race an issue, but every person that she reports on, I'll just leave it alone. Um, 
It's like if you're a white athlete, she has nothing to say to you. <laughs> like, really? Or, I never got that. Oh my but, God. Go back and look through her tweets. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Whatever. I have no animosity there. I don't know this lady. Uh, and the only reason I would say no to be enemy, the only reason in theory, and I've said this so many times, and you can vouch for me on this, I hate that Kansas City offense. Mm-hmm. I don't want any more Kansas City lookalikes. Now, I know against Detroit or Minnesota, we're throwing the shallow screens over and over and over. But in theory, it's the same thing. If it's fourth and two, fourth and an inch, we're in a shotgun. I can't stand the Chiefs offense. I didn't. We tried that with Terry Shea. We tried that with Matt Nagy. We're still, even though it's supposedly Green Bay's offense, it's still a variation of it now. I don't want any more KC lookalike. They're, the KC is only successful because of Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Like, I love, I mean, Donovan McNabb was a good quarterback, but he wasn't going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, at least that's the way his career played out. I think Andy Reid wouldn't have won it without Mahomes, is my point. Now he's a genius, but he was a guy that couldn't win the big game before Mahomes got there. Yep. And for the and, and now with Matt Nagy, for the first time, he's allowed, but not really the first time because he did it for six games back when he was uh, – offensive coordinator for the Chiefs before he became head coach of the Bears. But he's been calling plays again. He's taking a bigger role with the offense with the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're struggling, of course. (laughs) Huge. It's like, what the fuck? And you just can't blame it on the wide receivers. You know, he's not utilizing that team's strengths. You know, they should be utilizing Johnny Pacheco. uh, But Uh, I want to talk about Pacheco a little more later. That guy's a horse, man. Oh, well, okay. Well, let's talk about him now because – I said on Twitter, I want a fucking Johnny Pacheco for my team. Yeah. I want that speedy guy, that electrifying guy. And they I want to run your I, ass over. Yeah. I mean, here are the guys. Where the fuck is it? Um, I want a Johnny Pacheco because I grew up watching this guy, number 40, Gail Sayers. And you knew that when he touched the ball, something magnificent was going to happen. No offense to Foreman, Herbert, or Roshan Johnson. Those guys are good, and you could say very good, but they're not fucking Gale Sayers, and they're not this next guy either that I grew up watching, Walter Payton. I want a guy on the Chicago Bears who will give me chills just like this guy is giving me chills right now, holding the ball like like, like only Walter could hold it, <laughs> fighting for yardage, bouncing off tacklers. He's just fucking tremendous. We don't have that now. I, 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 well, I don't know if uh, I'll say I don't know if the guy in KC's I don't think they have that either when it comes to Walter or Gale Sayers, but he's very good and a hard runner, and I feel like he's more power than speed. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know his his forty time, but I think uh, Pacheco is more of a a power guy, and I like him a lot too. And it's just hard to believe they got him in the seventh round, and he was so good in the postseason last year too. So it's not like he is just some Johnny come lately. Yeah, he's good. I I honestly feel like Foreman can be that guy, you know, that can run you over. I know uh, Mike North from listening to you all's presser that he's he feels David Montgomery's that guy, and I like David Montgomery when he's here. I don't now. I will go ahead and say that, but I don't think he was that good either with regards to, you know, what you're looking for, mm-hmm. what you're espousing for. I don't think that was David Montgomery. 
Yeah, no, not at all. And again, you know, all of these backs that the Bears have had recently, the three that they have now, and David Montgomery, these guys are good backs. There's no doubt about it. But I want to get back. I, I, I you know, and frankly, Devin Hester filled that void for me of the Peyton Sayers because he was electrifying. So even if they were to get a receiver like a Tank Dell, who was available to the Bears in the NFL draft and unfortunately got injured this season, but he is like a version of Tyreek Hill. Those are the type of players I'm talking about. Throw them a short pass, hand them the ball, whatever. Just get the ball in their hands, and then magic happens. Those are the type of players we need on the Chicago Bears. Until Matt Nagy got here, Tariq Cohen was kind of like that in a smaller way, no pun intended mm -hmm. with his height. He wasn't mm -hmm. exactly Gail Sayers, but, you know, the, he had some moments. Uh, see the Steelers game in 2017, and then Nagy got here, and he's like, how can I uh, not utilize his strength? Well, I'm going to run Cohen straight up the middle, mm -hmm. right there through the two-hole every time. <laughs> like, it's just like, come on, man, get that guy outside. Get him uh, running a wheel route or something. But he always had Cohen running straight up the middle. I, yeah. Yeah, Jesus right. Christ. Before he All got right. hurt, though, he was explosive. So getting back to the enemy, you know, I remember reading during training camp this season that Ron Rivera was asked by the media about some of the players complaining about Eric Bieniemy, and Ron Rivera said, "Yes, it's true. A number of players have come up to me saying that he speaks really rough to them. He calls them names, he belittles them, and so forth." And I told them that's because he's a very he has very high expectations for all of you and so go talk to him directly about how you want to be talked about so that's something right there and then LaShawn McCoy who played a season with the Kansas City Chiefs had this to say about Eric Bieniemy listen close. what's his value what makes him a good officer coordinator see the problem is a lot of these people that go on social media oh he should be the guy for the job they haven't played there. They're not in the locker room. I've been in the rooms where he's coaching, and he has nothing to do with the pass game at all, right? When the plays are, are designed, that's Andy Reid. When you talk about officer coordinators, I can tell you what makes Brian Dayball with the Giants a very, very good coordinator. I can tell you with Andy Reid or Doug Peterson. But when I ask about um, Eric Bieniemy, what makes him good? When we watch the film or practices and we correct the, the, the wide receivers, the running backs, the, the quarterbacks, he doesn't talk in there. Andy Reid talks in there. Mm. He may say things to the running back because he's an ex-running back coach. I get that. But he has no real responsibility. Now you go from the Chiefs, where you can hide behind Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. Then you, then you go to the, the Washington, where you got to call plays. You got to run the meetings. You got to run the installs. The last issue I have with him is... What makes Andy Reid so great, not the call, the, the play calls, which we see that, which, I mean, that's one of it. But the other thing is, like, adapting to the players. Well, being in me, he's my first practice. I couldn't believe it. He's dog coaching. He's dog cussing the players. I'm like, and not just the regular players, Kelsey, you know, you know, other players. So it's like, it's hard for me. I'm rooting for him because he's a black coach, and I love to see black coaches win. Also, he's a running back coach. Running back coaches don't never get a chance to be True. office coordinators. The yep. last one was, like, Anthony Lynn. So I want that to, 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 to do well for him. But if I got to do my job, I'll be honest, my thing is just where is the true value at? All right. Wow. I, got, I got a lot to say. Uh, first off, I love Shady as a player. Mm -hmm. When he's in Philly or, or Buffalo, I hate that he's always talking shit about Justin Fields. But uh, wow. Now, I I didn't want the enemy simply because of, again, a continuation of that 
we want to be Kansas City scheme. Like I said, that's the part that, that oh, God, not that again. It just doesn't work here because we don't have the players to do it. But I didn't know. I just thought based upon hype that he was going to be a great coach mm-hmm. and just needed the opportunity. So I assumed that he was calling the pass plays the same as, you know, like that's a really damning anecdote. Where really, say he really. has nothing to do with the passing game. And your your small story there or anecdote about Ron Rivera coupled mm-hmm. with that, it's like if he can't relate to his players, he's screaming and yelling at them, and he doesn't have the scheme all to himself anyway, then oh, that's not what we need in Chicago. We don't I, I personally don't want another coach who's learning on the job. You know, right. so that's another reason you'd look at Harbaugh because he's taking a team to the Super Bowl. We don't want a guy here give him a big deal, and then like he's just yelling at players and can't even pass the ball. That, that's not what Justin needs either. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. The, the thing about the enemy that worries me is what Shady just said. The fact that this truly is his first year as an OC calling plays and so forth, and the Washington Commanders have not shown any – you know, they've had flashes where they've scored, you know, 30 points a game and so forth. But they, you know, you can't look at the Washington commanders and say, wow, as Eric Bieniemy made a huge difference. No, he did sign a two-year contract. So uh, essentially he's got another year to go with the commander's contract, but they could fire him and he'd be looking for a job. If I'm the Bears, I don't fucking touch this guy. Now, one thing I want to say on his behalf, this was uh, Tyreek Hill. He tweeted out, uh, Shady's just mad because Eric told him to tuck the ball up tighter in practice. And apparently the story to that is that he told him, hey, motherfucker, tuck that ball up. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's the way he talks to people that gets certain people really upset with his coaching style. That shit doesn't fly in the NFL nowadays. Players rightfully so, in my opinion. Demand to be talked to as men and with right. respect. And, you know, every once in a while, a player needs a kick in the ass, but you don't fucking call them names in public and so forth. You bring him in into a closed room and you talk to them firmly. Hey, this is your last chance or whatever needs to be said, but not on the practice field, not especially a veteran like McCoy. Uh, you, know, you know, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you have to have, look, I'm not trying to take a shot at the enemy here, uh, but it's just the fact that, he hasn't done anything yet. I mean, not mm-hmm. to say he won't be a great coach, but if you're going to have that vocabulary, that condescending, extensive vocabulary with, again, cussing doesn't bother me, but maybe if someone was screaming at me like I was in the fucking army, it would. Um, so I, I think if you're going to be yelled at by a coach like that, it, maybe Bill Belichick yells at you like that, and you're like, oh, okay. Okay, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's yeah. one. 39 Super Bowls. It's like, I'll listen to him scream at me, but mm-hmm. the dude that can't even drop the passing place, I don't know if I want that guy screaming at me. Demand mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, Dice E says, didn't we have a coach like that named Mike Ditka? But yeah, that was but 40 years ago. Exactly. I don't think Ditka can coach in this league. No, I really don't. And if you read Otis Wilson's biography, you'd know why. He just had a hard time relating to certain players, and yeah, I don't think Dick could, could coach in, the, in in this league. He'd have to have a different approach to coaching. That's for sure. 
as much as I love Otis, just to play devil's advocate, because I read the book and, and know the reference as well. But for every Otis, there's always a William Perry that thinks Ditka's the fucking God, you know? So mm-hmm. even uh, Mongo, you know, part of the defense love buddy, he he was, he was carried uh, Ditka off the field uh, mm-hmm. during the Super Bowl. That's right. So yeah. I'm just saying that for every person that's his detractor, there's somebody that loves him too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, James says, so everyone is soft now. No, I, I don't think that's the case. Everybody is wants to be treated with respect. And that should even extend to the industries and activities usually uh, considered masculine. And so just because you're in a league with tough guys, whether it's wrestling or football or hockey and so forth, there are certain things nowadays that are acceptable that were not acceptable that were acceptable in the water. Past. Water. You were <laughs> viewed as a perfect you, example. You were a pussy in 1994 if you wanted a drink of water on the fucking practice field, even if it was a three a day and it was a hundred degrees in, in, in Wisconsin. Yes. Yes. Like you I, couldn't drink water. So now everyone knows that dude from the Vikings died in like Oh five. I forget what his name is. I mean, no disrespect to him, but somebody died because of lack of hydration on the field during the summer camp, like when training camp was training camp. I mean, now they know like shit, hydration's essential. That doesn't make you less of a man. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the same thing. You were sort of, you were beaten down to be brought up 40 years ago and you couldn't drink water and you were, you got to be tough and all this shit. Like now, like I think it's just a respect thing now, you know I mean? Yes. Uh, Mr. Shorty says he remembers that, nobody has come up with the name yet. If you come up with the name, you win a thousand dollars. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. So Eric Bianami, not too interested in him, but it's not because, uh, uh, for me, the main thing is it's a continuation of Casey and the fact that he's never been a coach before. We've tried this so many times. See Eberflus, for example. You know, like, I want a coach who has some experience, even if that means keeping Eberflus. Yes. Oh, you didn't know that I was going to come up with this next. Oh. That's a perfect subway segue. This is Albert Bree. I'm not sure where Albert Bree works nowadays, but he I was think on CBS, the, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe CBS. Well, he was on the Captain Sports Jay Illustrated, Hood. one of them. All right. Uh, he was on the Captain Jay Hood show, and he said this about coaching candidates that are out there now? It's starting to happen every year now because there's so many changes. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure like the coaching pipeline is like flush with like obvious candidates. So, you know, what can happen is a team, you know, really struggles early in the year and, and you get to like Halloween and it's like, okay, like we're going to be like, like our team is going to be making a change after the year. And then you start to play a little better and you look in you know, mid-December at like what's out there and like, you know, what the landscape looks like as far as coaching candidates go. And I mean, let's put it this way, guys, like get beyond Ben Johnson, right? Like the Lions offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, how many obvious candidates are there out there? I mean, is the OC and I've heard the name of the OC in Jacksonville press Taylor. I've heard Taylor, right. Ben Johnson, and the OC in Cincinnati, I heard, is highly regarded. Brian Brian Callahan, yeah, that, and those guys are highly regarded. But are the, is that like, oh my God, we need to fire a coach to go get one of these guys? 
But if you know, it's like that's the point I made. That's the point I'm making. Is I think that that's what happens a lot of times when you get to this time, this point in the year where your teams have been languishing at the bottom of the standings for you know for the balance. You look at it and it's like, all right, like so we need to move on or it's time to move on. But then like what's behind door number two? And we're getting to that point in the year where it's like, okay, what's behind door number two? And what's behind door number two right now is like I, I guys who I think are really good coaches, right? Like guys that um, you have a chance to be great head coaches. Like I love Brian Callahan. I think Brian Callahan's going to be a, a, a fantastic, fantastic head coach when he gets his shot. But is are those names going to fire up fan bases, right? Like if you're a team president, is that worth like completely detonating your franchise over? Um, I don't know. Now, if you're making a run at Jim Harbaugh, maybe we're talking about something else, you know, because that is something that would probably excite a fan base. And that is something that you would look at and say, okay, like maybe it is worth turning things over and at least rolling the dice with a guy that's won everywhere he's gone. But, you know, I don't know that you're looking at like the current coaching crop and saying to yourself, yes, you know, we need to completely blow up what we're doing here to bring one of these guys in. That were you looking at the video? Yes, I was uh, just like, man, don't they have the heat on in the studio? <laughs> Cap looked like he was at the game, you know. Yes, I, I thought the same thing, and then they both looked like they were so unhappy. It's like it's fucking cold in here, man. I shouldn't have to be wearing my coat. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to say too much. I don't want Cap to not not like me or something. I, I was worried because I criticized them over the. The treating of that guy from North Carolina, which again, I sent you that call, by the way, it's on your Facebook messenger. Yeah, I do have it. Yes. Um, I haven't but yeah, either. I, I think his point was from what the way I interpreted Albert Breer mm -hmm. is he saying like, yeah, these hot candidates in October seem to like, just be guys by the time the season's over. And unless you're going to hire Jim Harbaugh or someone that's going to immediately fire up the base, then maybe you shouldn't just make a change just to make change. Mm -hmm. Is that the way you interpreted it? Yeah. I, and, and I listened to a little uh, of the stuff before that. The context being is that some of these, you know, whippersnapper coaches don't have a lot of experience or have these high pedigrees, but can you really trust that? And so the question then becomes, doesn't Eberflus's value at, to remain as head coach increase Given that some of the young candidates, the guys who you're hoping to find the next, the next genius, Bill Walsh, Mike McDaniel, you know, young coach uh, Sean McVay, young coach who is going to revolutionize the game, John Madden, uh, John Madden, maybe maybe you should just give Eberflus another chance. Here's Dave wants that. Talking about Eberflus. He's done a fantastic job with the defense. Top 10 defense, number one stopping the run. I talked with Matt back in OTAs, and he talked about that that was the goal. You know, we can't stop everything at one time. Let's start with the run and move to the pass rush and the sacks and so forth. And he's done that. I think he's an excellent coach. You know, and you judge a head coach by how the players are playing. Uh, you can lose some games, but did you lose the locker room? Matt, Matt's never lost the locker room. I think that the guys lay it on the line for him. I think that they're prepared to come out. Uh, they're still trying to find their way on offense. 
you know, that that happy medium between running the Justin Fields, passing Justin Fields, you know, where where does it fit where they can score enough points and win games, but yet at the same time, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to be a wishbone team and run it every time with Justin Fields. So I, I think they're, they're getting close, uh, and I, I think it will improve. I think the Bears are going to finish up pretty good. I look for Matt Eberflus to be back next year, the staff to be back, and Justin Fields to be back next year. That's how I see this thing playing out. I think they win two or three of their last five games. Wow. What do two you or think? three, and that and that brings him back. I, I, I thought he was going to say, I think they run the table. Okay, Wani. Yeah. It, it's, first off, I love Wani. Uh, again, I liked once that even when he was the Bears coach, like I remember hearing Mike North say he couldn't have liked anyone that followed Ditka. I liked Wani, and the fact that he talked about the players, uh, you know, not giving up. I felt the players didn't give up on Wani. Even when they were losing, they they played hard for him. So that's part of the reason I liked him. I mean, they would lose games like 16-12 or whatever, uh, you know, 20-17, to 17, but they were in it. I mean, they got blown out by the Packers a few times, but for the most part, the team played. So, again, that's a good comparison. But I will say Wanstead always defends the coach. Even when Nagy was here and Fox was here, he was defending. He always defends the coach where he was a coach, too. So I like him. I like him on TV. I liked him as a coach. He's never going to say that the coach should go, though, in my opinion. Right. But I did like that. I was shocked that he already said Justin's done enough to come back. Uh, I, I hope Justin does do enough to come back. Uh, I I don't know. I feel like uh, – do you believe the Bears have already made a decision? Someone said that earlier, too. I don't know if they have or haven't. but I, I highly, highly doubt it, and – once again, Dan, are you looking at my show flow of clips and stuff? Because you no. keep segueing <laughs> straight into the next one. This is a show called NFL on Fox. I don't know where I find this show. You would think on Fox, but I looked all over Fox, found it on the internet. And this is insider Jay Glazier talking about Justin Fields' future. Have the Bears made up their minds? I still think they're in evaluation mode of Justin Fields. I, I, that's what I think. Um, it certainly does some good things. But yeah, then you see the other night. You know, he, he still does it with his legs, but he's not, you know, there's a lot of questionable calls with, with his arm. Absolutely. Right? So I still think they're in evaluation mode of what they want. Now, listen, if if Justin Fields could show I'm the guy, he's it, it changes the whole top of the draft, it completely changes everything. And then they could put pieces around them. But if they have to use it on a quarterback instead of using it on you know, a receiver or a tackler or something along those lines, it's just completely different. But I think they're in eval mode still. Do you agree with – and th this is my opinion. It's like this is this is way more about how Justin plays than wins and losses, right? Um, no, I think – but it's both. you got to see well, – obviously you want to see the dude win. I but, guess how how well you're playing is irrelevant if it's not translating to something. But it's also like, you know, last year you knew he did a lot with his legs. So this year they said, okay, let's see if we could start the season, show off more with his arm. And that, that didn't work, mm. right? So then he started getting his legs more involved, and he started he started doing things like that. Um, but I, I, I can't answer the question for you if he's their guy. I don't think the Bears can answer the question yet. Dan, what do you think of what Jay said? I have to make a comparison first because this just popped in my head immediately. Maybe you'll disagree. Jay Glazer, I'm like, oh my God, who does he look like now? <laughs> Two per Saddam Hussein came to my head for one. But secondly, did you see the Superman, Christopher Reeve Superman films, the old ones? 
From the yeah, Lex, Lex Luthor, you think? Yeah. There's a part where, like where Superman takes Ned Beatty and Gene Hackman back to jail. And Gene Hackman gets mad and takes his wig off and gives this promo about how oh, he's the genius of, of our time. And then yes. Betty looks at him shocked because he didn't know he had a wig. <laughs> he looks like Hackman <laughs> when he took his wig off. <laughs> he looks like Lex Luthor and he takes his fucking wig off. And then Superman too. I, you know what? I always freak out when I see him on the pregame show on Fox. And he is like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, this guy is like a professional wrestler. He's He's... Yeah, yeah MMA guy for sure. Yeah, MMA guy. Uh, but I'm always shocked at how small he is. He I sounds guess. rough now. It sounds like I mean, I guess we're all getting older, but his voice sounded like, man, is he sick? I mean sounded like he was out in the New York cold and came into the studio and they said, We gotta go on the air and off. <laughs> I I don't know. I was so distracted by his voice that I don't know if I retained everything I should have, but I guess the gist of it was he was saying, Okay, Fields ran last year, they want to see him pass a little bit. Yeah, the wins matter a little bit, but they need to see some some play from him as well, some effective things on the field. Was that your takeaway? Yeah, and essentially what you said before the soundbite is that they haven't made up their minds. They still want to see, uh, and, and I think they're leaning towards keeping him because that's the fastest path to winning football games, you draft the quarterback and you've got to expect there to be a year, two years, maybe three years of development. He's 24, and, man. He's 24. Exactly. Exactly. And so we, we've developed quarterbacks in the NFL. We used to develop quarterbacks three, four, sometimes five years. All right, kid, get in there. Now everyone expects instant gratification. Are we being too rough? Uh, Justin Fields, and particularly since the offense coordinator may not have been a good marriage, and so doesn't he deserve another chance? The big question, of course, is the money associated with that. Is you know, is he going to cost us two hundred and fifty million dollars? But why would he though? If he if his play doesn't match that or has it matched that, I mean, I don't think Justin or his agent can lie about certain statistics that that are you know his detractors would point to. So mm -hmm. maybe if you, again, he's going to his fourth year next year mm -hmm. and maybe you do have to extend him that fifth year. And that's when you pay him some pretty good coin. And then, and then you could franchise him in theory. But what I'm saying is maybe he's someone that's like, okay, I get it. I haven't played like a top five. Maybe I'll get there. I want to get there. So you don't have to pay me like a top five yet. Yeah. I hope that if I'm Justin Fields, I'm like, dude. More than anything, more than money, I want respect. Just fucking give me a hug and tell me I'm your guy. Every well, moment every moment that I've been here, I've had Matt Nagy tell me I'm not ready to start. Then last year, I've been told all I can do is run. And this year, all I've heard was, well, if I don't play like Mahomes, I'm going to be out of here. Can somebody just tell me I'm here so I can buy a house and try to get better and relax and not look over my shoulder? Well, I'm Justin well, Fields, that's what I'm saying. And while uh, Ryan Pose did one of those two things, maybe both, uh, he gave him a big hug in the locker room after that win against the Vikings. Did he whisper into this to his he ear? He checked him for him. a hernia. He said, cough. <laughs> <laughs> Jamal says, I believe the Bears are still evaluating Justin. There has been a ton of insiders saying they're evaluating Justin. The insiders are getting it from the Bears front office. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think you're right, uh, but one of the things that I've learned about this Bears front office, they only leak things that 
they they're they're much more astute than previous Chicago Bears management. They leak things with some strategy behind it. So what would be the strategy of saying we're still evaluating? I don't I don't know what that is. Uh, Unless but, you're just trying to like be coy about the draft and like maybe making trades again, right? Or or maybe they're not saying anything because Jay. Just said, I believe he didn't say it. sources tell me, which he normally says. You know, Albert Breer, when he came out with whatever the big story was a couple of weeks ago about Jim Harbaugh, I think it was, whatever it was, he said, I believe. So you gotta, you know, these words are important. A lot of times these guys are making it seem like they got insider information, but they really fucking don't. But they maybe just, just playing devil's advocate, maybe they've been told on deep background, you can't quote me or say sources. So they're like, okay. okay, I know this is true. Good, good point. So I'll just say I believe because if I, my opinion looks right, then I'll be, I won't be uh, uh, Jason Lockenfora who's always wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where the hell is he nowadays? <laughs> is he still with CBS? He should be fired. I, I think he was fired. Um, he's with NFL some other... Network before that. Yeah, he was so bad. He's like, I think at Sports Illustrated or something like that. He, he's Here's, the guy, he's the bot now, the, the AI that writes articles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's our resident bot. He's such a good fiction writer. We thought we'd have him write some stories. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, let's talk a little bit about fields uh, and more particularly here is, well, I'm trying to determine which order is the best here because this time you didn't give me the perfect segue. <laughs> well, I can try to throw it that way. Just give me a hint on how you want me to take it. No, so let, let's talk about uh, Justin Fields as a quarterback. This is Lewis Reddick. He feels like the Bears should move on from Justin Fields. But he was also very, very angry at what he sees uh, Luke Getze doing as offensive coordinator. I mean, the coordinator has to put together the plan. And the quarterback has to be comfortable with it. And the quarterback has to have enough cachet to be able to say, look, I'm comfortable with this or I'm not comfortable with this. And this is kind of like, I guess at this point in time, look, if I'm Justin Fields, I'm going, look, this is what I'm comfortable with and this is what I'm not. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm not. This is what's helping us move the ball. This is what isn't relative to what I'm comfortable with. And I just, I look, I, I tweeted during the Monday night game, right? I said, like, I dare Chicago to get in 12 personnel and run get under center and run some kind of, you know, first, second down play action pass that they deliver the ball on time in rhythm, and someone's going to run a route that's actually crisp, fast, precise, get out of the break and throw the damn ball. I didn't see it once. Not once. And I'm looking at it, and, like, nothing happened on time. Nothing. The drops didn't match up with the route. Justin looks skittish. It looks like, hey, man, just figure something out and throw the ball. The receivers, I mean, the, the spacing, the, the route running, it, it just all looked like a damn mess. It, it just did. It just, and I, I just watched it again on tape here this afternoon. Just so, so I'm going, so I wasn't tripping while I was watching this, was I? <laughs> yeah, and then I watched, the, I watched Detroit. Now, Detroit games look different. They're under center. They're running traditional play action. Sometimes the ball is coming out on time, and I'm going, okay, there are some two-back runs. They are getting some steams and, and gas in the front a little bit. But it's just the inconsistency that it's just it's mind-boggling. And it's infuriating for me just from, look, and I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care. I don't care what happens one way or another with Chicago. But um, for the fan base, 
And for people who follow the team and who are invested in this team on a daily basis, a yearly basis, I'm sure you are pissed off at this point over the inconsistency and the kind of like lack of continuity in terms of a plan or an attack and the lack of improvement. It's just, and here's the last thing I'm going to say. Why in the, can somebody tell me why Darnell Mooney is, has been forgotten as a receiver? I asked the coach and that why on the Tuesday. Hell is he being yeah. used as a lead blocker and as a point of attack guy on all these different screens they were. What is, what is Darnell? 170 pounds soaking wet, maybe, with his helmet on? Yeah. What is, like, what's happening here? Total condemnation of Luke Getze by Lewis Riddick. Uh, and I know a lot of people are, are down on Lewis Riddick, but, and I am a little bit too. I think he's too harsh on social media. Sometimes somebody says something really innocent, he blocks them or he calls them an idiot or something. But aside from that, what he just said, I agree with 100%. The more and more I learn about Luke Getze, the more and more I see what he's done. I like the guy. At press conferences, he always interests me, what he's got to say and so forth. But it's pretty obvious that as an offensive play quarter and a play caller and, is, and from designing plays and so forth, he's not at the NFL pro level yet. He might have been a good buddy. You know, it's interesting that – uh, Aaron Rodgers likes Luke Getze, and Aaron Rodgers likes Nathaniel Hackett. Those guys are two hacks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they probably, because they get him coffee, or they probably massage his balls, or whatever, but they clearly aren't great football minds like people, perhaps many people think that they are. What do you think about what uh, our guy said, Louis Riddick? I completely agree with the offensive stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I every time we talk, like I bitch about this offense. I was complaining during the KC Green Bay game to you. I was like, I'm just so sick of this offense. And even though we weren't watching the Bears, again, it's the shotgun every play. Like he, what he just said, you know, bring 35 in there, bring Foreman in there, and run the fucking ball. Get Fields under center. Do your play actions. Do your rollouts. That's when things are always successful. But you know, he just insists. Well, that's not the way Aaron would do it. And it's so weird if you think back in the three or four games, he always put Bajent in those scenarios, you know, with the the, the two backs or the, the tight ends and under center. And yep. it's like, why not do that for Justin, man? Like, mm-hmm. I said that at the Raider game. I don't even remember who caught the touchdown now, but uh, Bajent rolled out. And I was, you know, you you talk to the people around you. I don't know who he was. Sure. But like somebody, he threw a, he threw a touchdown on a like a rollout, and I was like, why can't he do that when Fields is in there? And the guy was like, yeah, exactly. Like, why does he have to be in the shotgun every fucking play? Because he's a former quarterback, and he just like Matt Nagy, he's got that same instinct. I uh, want to try to throw the ball as often as possible. Well, you can throw it with them under center. You just they can't key on where it's going if there's two backs or something, you right. know, and. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you're going to run the ball, but you can do play action off of it. Mm-hmm. And h- how many times did Doug Flutie take off out from under center and do like a naked bootleg and get 30 yards when he was with Buffalo? I mean, mm-hmm. imagine Fields could do that. Yep. And then take it to the house. Right. I just, I, just, I, I really hate the shotgun in every play, especially on fourth and like one or two, you know? Like, why make your running back go seven or eight yards just to get one? You know, because he's already deep behind. Like, just get under center, bro. 
Yes, I agree with uh, Reddick. Although I didn't hear what Lewis said there about Fields. You said he he wanted to move on from Fields. I I didn't hear it. Yeah, I didn't want to make that segment too long, but uh, oh, okay. there, on on that show he did uh, he did say that perhaps it would be a good thing for Fields to move on for him and for the Bears to start over. So uh, that seems to be the prevailing opinion among the national media is to move on, but. Um, and, and who was it that said this? Oh, do I have that clip? Troy, fuck, I forgot to load it. Yeah, Aikman, um, didn't Aikman say they've already made their mind up? No, uh, Aikman, uh, from the clip that I saw, which was, I think, on uh, Monday or Friday, it was last Friday, he said um, that he believes that the Bears are still evaluating. And Somebody prominently said that they've already made their mind up. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, I don't think it was Aikman, though. But, uh, yeah, I agree with Lewis Riddick. This this offense, unfortunately, there's just a, an incompatibility issue. At, at, to be as kind as possible to Luke Getze, I would call it an incom incompatibility. And uh, somebody in the chat just put up, uh, where was it, uh, Demond uh, says it still doesn't excuse Justin missing wide open options with mid to minimum pressure on him. You're absolutely right. That's one of the things that worries me the most about Justin Fields is that simple pocket passing things that you need to do in order to win championships. He's inconsistent with. And I'm gonna I'm gonna load this comment up again about that opening play. Uh, against the Minnesota Vikings at home, the first time they faced the Vikings. Oh, uh, the uh, empty backfield play. The empty backfield play. I mean, that is such that is such a mental cramp that he had there. He made the proper adjustment, asking the offensive lineman, telling the offensive lineman to block to the right, but he knew. Counting one, two, three, four. This guy is going to be unblocked. So I got to take two steps or just at least drift a little to the right to make it a little harder for him to catch me and then immediately throw that ball to that guy who's open. There's two guys over there. Throw it to the first guy you see. And he, instead of drifting to the right, he didn't like what he saw. And then he looks over the middle, totally forgetting that this guy's going to come to blast him. That's a mental defect there that really concerns me because the great quarterbacks, the great quarterbacks from yesteryear to today have this mental capacity that is like a fucking vice. I am not going to make that mistake. I learned how to do it. It happened once. I'm not going to do it again. And we were built with that. He doesn't make the same mistakes twice. No, he's made them 10, 15 times. Well, let me be an excuse maker for him on this particular issue. Please. Again, I, I've said it earlier, and and I could be completely wrong, and ultimately the Bears could move on from him. It, may, it might be the right move. I still want to say he's twenty four, and like you said, like look at look at Terry Bradshaw. He didn't it didn't click for Bradshaw until his fifth season, mm -hmm. and he and the Steelers gave up on Terry. Don't I know it's a different era, but they gave up on Terry. The only reason that Terry got his gig back was because Joe Gilliam couldn't stay clean. Mm -hmm. He got on drugs and shit, and, and Terry was asking for a trade. And they eventually put him in the lineup, back in the lineup, and they win the, the Super Bowl, and then they win another Super Bowl, and then they win two more right after that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, but they had given up on him. They had given up on Bradshaw, and he asked Al Davis to trade for him. Yep. 
And That's so exact, I'm, it's it, five no, years. It's, yeah, it's a different era. I know we're talking about like fucking Gerald Ford is president or something. Oh, Nixon at that point still maybe. No, no, Ford is president because he resigned. Anyway, it's a long time ago. But what I'm saying to you is sometimes it takes people time to 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 make it. I mean, and he's got to make mistakes like to to correct them. I get it. It's a big one. He ended up getting hurt in that game. Uh and it wasn't necessarily, I don't think that that play even indicated that he's injury prone. It's just a fluke, the way he landed on his thumb. Mm-hmm. And and another thing, people But he forget, held the ball so long. He could have thrown it away. He could have thrown it to the running back who was by the sideline. He, it was six or seven seconds, I think it was. And, and it's like, dude, what are you doing? You got to make faster decisions. You know? Is that part of his growth process is what I'm saying, though? Absolutely. It could, it could very well be, you know, I just wish with those, with the growth process, I, I wish the processing was a little faster by now. I'm a little, and I understand, I totally understand, you know, you probably have two coaches, his quarterback coach and his offensive coordinator who have, who have not been able to get through to him and, and, and help him process faster and call games that would, at, at the at the moment, disguise those imperfections until he grows into the quarterback who can make faster decisions. I totally get it. Totally get it. And maybe, I don't want, again, I'm not making, well, maybe I am making excuses for him. But against Minnesota, and we were all devastated, including Justin, by those two fumbles. Mm-hmm. And But maybe those fumbles were a result of his thumb. Yeah. And that's another thing, like, people forget he's playing hurt right now. That's right. Like he's giving us his heart and his mind and his body. You can say it's his fault because you know he, he got hurt because he held on the ball too long. But whatever, whatever the reason is, he's giving us what he's got. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, instead of vilifying him every time he he throws an incompletion, it, maybe if we rallied around him, like you know, and just see where it goes the rest of the year. Like I said, whoever the quarterback is, just fucking root for him, man. Like don't mm-hmm. boo him Sunday. Don't boo him the first time he gets picked off or fumbles. Or misses a wide open man, whatever. Quarterbacks sometimes do that. There's only like five quarterbacks in the league, maybe 10 that are just like impervious to mistakes. And yeah, it's hard to be one of those guys. Mm -hmm. I think that this team is at this stage right now. We're booing them as a fan at Soldier Field, booing them could create much more harm. This is a team right now that could be on the cusp of doing something special. And so they need all the support during those player introductions, during first downs, any little bit of success. Give them a standing ovation. And when a mistake happens, go ahead and groan, but don't fucking boo. Don't boo. I agree. Um, when I was at that shit show at, on week one with the Packers, when the, by the third <laughs> quarter, they were the fans were booing. And I think Jay could take up for me on this. Like maybe it's also makes me a bad fan because I sort of sat on my hands and was quiet because mm-hmm. they're getting our asses kicked. But I, right. I've never booed. I've never yeah. booed the Bears. Like I, you know, I might be quiet and not cajoling, but I've never booed them. Even if yeah. it was like somebody that, like if I'd have been in a game with Steve Stenstrom, who was my least favorite bear of all time, I may, maybe <laughs> I would have booed him. But probably no nobody else. Even you know, the, the, I I love the the team, man. So may I maybe they would just say I was an idiot, and, that, and I'm exactly the guy that George McCaskey wants to target. 
That's what essentially what they told that guy on Cap and, and uh, Jay Hood. I got to, now that you have said now for probably the hundredth time how much you dislike Steve Stenstrom, I got to figure out a way to have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. No, please do. Please do it. It's like the time you had Grody on and was like, oh, Shane, you said he sucked. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh. uh, Bear Truth Nine says, can you name some good quarterbacks that came in a Justin Fields situation and without a change of coaching or change of a team end up uh, overcoming it and becoming good. That's a great question, Barrett Truthline. It, it is. I, I can't think of anyone. I'm sure that there have been. Um, but off the top of my head, I cannot think of a quarterback who came into the type of situation that Justin Fields came in with the Chicago Bears and immediately improved. But but I, I do have some context here that could help us when we're debating this topic. And it comes from none other than former NFL quarterback Cam Newton. All right. Here comes Michael Vick. Here comes a Cam Newton. Here comes Steve Young. Right. Here comes these athletic quarterbacks that we're going to get the yards elsewhere. Mm -hmm. All right. So – a, a typical winning stat line for Cam Newton is this, 208, 215 yards passing, another 80 yards rushing, one touchdown, you know, either passing or running, and three touchdowns in total. Altogether, that's upwards of 300 yards in total offense. Not only that, it's, it's controlling the clock, and, you know, that gives, you know, there's chunk plays in there, but – it's not the prototypical way we're used to seeing right. yards being made, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when you see Justin last night, right, he went 10 for 10, but he probably had like 42 yards in those 10 passes. Yeah. It's the, it's it's confidence builders. Now you're throwing the ball out on smoke screens. You're throwing the ball out on bubble screens. You're throwing the screens. You're throwing this. You're throwing that. But at the same time, when it's time for him to say, this is a Justin Fields moment, get the fuck out of his way yeah he's now fresh to do that rather than i would hate systems like this hand the ball off one yard hand the ball off again a negative two yards now it's third and 12 yeah always behind and yeah. i'm like yo bro i'm not that i'm not that guy right you know what i'm saying now you got these exotic blitz packages where it's like hold on set why they, hey hold on hold on hey 52's the mic here why are they easy, easy, easy? No, 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 no. Hey, 38's to Mike. Hey, let's rover to 52. Set. It's too much. Right. It's too much. So, Just let him go. So I think what he's trying to say now is that there are certain athletic quarterbacks, and he referred to Steve Young and, and uh, uh, Randall Cunningham. To, in, in the longer part of the interview, he referred to the athletic quarterback saying – People are discounting what they do with their legs. The He actually said Peyton Manning did a disservice to the NFL because he gained all his yards with his arm. And what we as football fans who look at the quarterback from the traditional position of the Johnny Unitas, fade back, throw the bomb, 80-yard touchdown, that these athletic quarterbacks are, are accumulating as many yards as these passing quarterbacks with other through other ways through short passing through their legs running picking up their own yards and so forth so what do you think about that argument dan well 
I immediately want to defend Justin with, with the Steve Young comparison. Steve mm-hmm. Young was just a guy until he got surrounded by Brent Jones and John Taylor and Jerry Rice and Roger Craig and Tom Rathman. So my point being that as the Bears get better and the Bears improve, we may see Justin Fields playing at a Steve Young level. And I, I know we wanted that this year. We thought we had Chase, you know, Claypool and, and Mooney, and he's never on target with Mooney. He, even when he is, Mooney drops it a lot. It's just like they're never, the chemistry's not there. I don't know why. But maybe, you know, you stick with him. Maybe he becomes like a Steve Young as the Bears get better. With that, yeah, with Cam Newton saying that, I certainly can't say that he's wrong. I mean, he's the guy that played the position and was MVP and was sort of the same kind of guy that Fields is. In terms of his uh, pure body, a big guy that could run your ass over, but could also throw the ball. But again, Newton got an MVP and took a team to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So maybe Justin can do that as well, you know? I think that there is so much truth to that. I think when I read the negative comments uh, about Justin Fields, and, and I have negative comments about him too, but sometimes I wonder if me and other people who are critical aren't falling back into, this is what we grew up with. I mean, I actually saw Johnny Unitas play on television, not, not in person, but and he was the prototypical quarterback in the name, Johnny Unitas and stuff, and he used to throw 80-yard passes to Raymond Berry and blah, 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 and Joe Namath after that, and Bart Starr, and all these other quarterbacks, they were guys who were traditional, stay in the pocket, get protection, fire that ball. But who says that that has to be the, the prototype now? The prototype could be Lamar Jackson, could be Justin Fields. Now, the one negative about it is that they're liable to get banged up. Um, but I think that's going to become less and less of an issue because – Pretty soon they're going to put flags on the football players. Well, look at the <laughs> comparison with Randall. Like Randall ran so much early on in Philly, but mm-hmm. he probably played his best ball when he was just throwing the damn ball in Minnesota to Moss. Yeah, how about yeah, that? They were fifteen and one, and Randall really wasn't running anymore because he was in his mid thirties or what have you. Mm-hmm. And but he became a, a pocket passer that he wasn't early in his career. Not to say he couldn't throw for four hundred yards on you because he did it at Soldier Field in the Fog Bowl. Right. I, I mean. It happened, but mm-hmm. he become a guy that just almost did everything you were just saying. The 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 way we lust after a pocket passer, Cunningham become that guy later. And who's to say Justin wouldn't? And I think right now the Bears, the thing with the Bears more than any is, can they morally within the building to or to their fan base, can they justify passing a number one pick two years a row, two years in a row, and not taking a quarterback? I think that's what they have to figure out. How do they sell this if they don't take one of the quarterbacks? And let's say you got a guy right now in Houston they could have drafted, right, who's balling. And then what if you don't take one of these two and then then suddenly they're playing well next year? I think that that's what they're trying to figure out. Like, how do we make the fan base happy right now? You Mm -hmm. know, if we miss again. Yeah, and and kudos to Nomad and Coach T and a number of other commentators um, who have been pointing that out, the whole, you know, paradigm shift that we as football fans have to accept. There's a lot of things about the game of football 
that have to change and will change and have changed. And, you know, it's like we're not going to see the old Raiders hits where you leave a poor wide receiver paralyzed. That Those days are gone. They're trying to make it safer. safer. And so, you know, uh, there's tons of stuff. But, well, yeah. If you look at the Ravens, the Ravens have the same coach that mm-hmm. had John Harbaugh that was there when they had Flacco, a guy that could only throw the ball and that was it. And he was still able to make that adjustment with the next quarterback because his talent was a lot different. That's a great point. So if one if one coach can do it, yeah. I, I don't know if the whole league, I think, I don't know if it's the league that needs a change or the fans need to change. It's just these coaches, man. And I don't yeah. even mean Eberflus. I mean the offensive coaches. Like mm-hmm. when you, you know, we can call out three or four games this year where the play, the play calling was just awful. Minnesota being one, Green Bay being one. Etc. Where they're just running those screens over and over and over. That's not on Justin. Now he's got to execute. I get it, but man, that's the inability of the coaching staff to realize what they have. Right. You know, if you're cooking dinner and you don't have the right ingredients to cook whatever meal you want, you got to make an adjustment. You can't just force. Well, I've decided we're gonna have fucking sushi today. But <laughs> if you know, if you've got shit to make chicken, I mean. You know what I'm saying? You, you, I mean, it's a bad analogy, but no, it's a good one. You can't force what you have with your talent doesn't fit the scheme you're trying to run, and the Bears just over and over and over just keep trying yeah. to force him to play a, a way that maybe he could if there were if he was on a stacked team the way Steve Young was. Right. It, it, it definitely. You know, it, somebody said this. Uh, gosh, I wish I could remember so I can give attribution, but. When the season started, the Bears were intent on trying to see where Justin Fields could go with his passing game, and it didn't work. He complained, I'm too robotic. I got too much stuff going on in my head. I need to be me. Which is what Cam was saying. Right, which is exactly what Cam was saying. Absolutely. And so they they decided, okay, we're we're not going to try to see what he can do from a pocket passer, although they still have that mentality. In order to win – He's got to have to make throws from the pocket. But is that really so? And could Justin be the quarterback who changes, blows that paradigm to bits? If he's going to do it, he's going to need an offensive coordinator who will support him and will can aid him in design runs to protect himself, know the best time to call a play where he's running and so forth, calling more rollout passes, doing all the things necessary to protect the quarterback, but also enhance his productivity, both with rushing yards and passing yards. Do you happen to have Brandon Marshall saying, get the fuck out of his way? <laughs> no, I wish I it's did. in that same interview with cam like when they go to bmar brandon marshall says yeah, just man leave fields alone get the fuck out of his way yeah oh yeah I, you need that you should find that i will find that i promise yeah brandon marshall was defending him man and i love brandon marshall i love to hear him talk and i wish he was with the bears longer yeah, me too. I mean, one of my favorite receivers of all time. Not that there were many to pick from, but uh, Zach says that, and I think he's referring to Cam Newton here, and the guy peaked at 25, was out of the game a few years later. He had phenomenal athleticism that elevated his game until it didn't. Body parts started dying around 25, around the age of 25. You know, it, I, I think that there were some issues with Cam that um, had more to do with the fact that he, you know, he was getting pounded 
on plays. The referees didn't fucking protect the guy. I mean, and we've seen it. If you're an athletic quarterback, and I don't care what color you are, but if you're an athletic quarterback, but it probably, you know, let me let me say the truth here. It happens more to black quarterbacks. If you're an athletic black quarterback, you're not going to get the cause. We've seen it with Justin. Just this past week against the Vikings, he's sliding and somebody fucking purposely elbows him to the helmet. No fucking car. But on the flip side of that, I mean, I know he's biracial and partly white. Mahomes gets every call in the fucking world. You saw that's the one call that's went against Green Bay in the last 50 years where they called a roughing the passer on him when he was still in bounds. I know, you cannot but that hit was Patrick Mahomes. Close. You cannot hit he's, Patrick Mahomes. He why, is why? Tom Brady now to the league. They suck his dick 24-7. You cannot well, hit him. What about the lack of uh, uh, penalty called um, on the Packers defending? Oh, that's because it's in Green Bay. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. You, you still can't fuck with Mahomes. Like even the Packers. Like, come on, guys. That's Mahomes. That's our State Farm guy. You can't fuck with him. He's our hero. He's our guy that we are going to suck his dick until the moment he retires. The way we did Manning. The way we did uh, Tom Brady. He is the face of the league now. And to a certain degree, we do that with Rodgers. So you can't hit him. They changed the rule when Minnesota hit Rodgers. You're not allowed to put your weight on him. What the fuck is that? That's what you do when you sack somebody. You fall on him. But so He's one of those guys. You cannot hit him. So I can't say your point is wrong, but once you reach a certain echelon and not everybody can reach it, regardless of color, they're going to start throwing flags for you. Because again, Mahomes happens to be biracial. So what? He's on a team that they worship. And oh God, Taylor Swift and the whores there and all this. She, I shouldn't call her whore, but uh, she's at the game and Kelsey and all this bullshit. So they're going to give him every call that they can get. And I'm jealous of it because I would love to have Justin get all those calls. You know, uh, to me, I want to tell everybody listening and watching Dan is like a brother to me, a really, really like a family member. But Thank you for the shirt today. To, oh, you're welcome. I uh, hope it fits. Oh, it's great. It comes down to my ass. I love long stuff. When I'm 6'5", it's hard for me to get shirts that are long. So go ahead. Right, you know, I, ha I hate stuff that covers your ass, Dan. <laughs> 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 I tell you, it's like a family member to me. Anyway, um, but when he says this stuff about my homes, I get so pissed off. <laughs> Don't be, because you saw the Green Bay game. It happens. I'm not just making it up. <laughs> I uh, Mahomes, I just happened to like because I liked him at Texas Tech and wanted him to be a Bears player. And I just feel like the guy is really special quarterback. And a lot of people are saying, well, what he, you know, he, he gets the calls or he's got all this great talent around him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys are just not being fair to the guy. I told you earlier, though, to, to be fair, I said earlier, Andy Reid doesn't win a Super Bowl without him. J2K wants to know why is Taylor Swift the whore? That was a joke, but if you really want me to acknowledge it, like she's had what again, I don't care. She's had like 77 breakup songs, and you know, I'm it's a, gonna make a double live album when she and Kelsey break up, just to bitch about him. I, it was a John Mayer I'm, that says she's a liar and she's she's vindictive, so it's you know, whatever. Wow, John Mayer is fucking on trying to rehabilitate his image. So I wouldn't take anything he says with, um, well, I was you just know, joking. Hey, okay, people, I'll, people I'll, just be people. I'll be an <laughs> asshole and say, I shouldn't have said that. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I did acknowledge that Mahomes is the reason KC's won a Super Bowl. I mean, Alex Smith was a good quarterback, but I don't think they won any Super Bowls without Mahomes. 
period. So it's not that I'm saying he isn't good. I'm completely envious of the preferential treatment that he gets. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like the show, please hit that thumbs up button if you're watching on YouTube and just let people know that we, Dan and Aldo and sometimes uh, Johnny Zantucci are here on Tuesday nights. Just Tucci is inactive tonight. He is inactive. He's he didn't make the trip. Uh, <laughs> he's not. It's not like a foreman in week two where we just don't want to use him. He's actually not feeling well. <laughs> uh, Kelly he's says got crabs. he's got crabs. He's got okay. crabs. He got them from <laughs> the Philippines, kidding. and he's, they're still bothering him. <laughs> uh, I wonder why Fields can't just play maybe seven good years and be great. Uh, well, he could. He could. Walter Payton played seven years, and he's great. I got posters of his signed jerseys. I love it. You know, I, I think that's another. You mean Sayers? Sayers. Sayers, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, my bad. I, said, I know, I know, you know the difference. I just didn't want anybody to be able to say he doesn't know what he's saying. You know. Yeah, I'm uh, coming to your defense, not to contradict you. That would be true. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You do. You do. <laughs> All right. I want to continue with some more clips for us to react to. The next one that I'm going to play um, has to do with. The Bears are right now. There was a graphic on one of the sports networks. I think it was Sunday Night Football. They had the Bears on the graphic when they showed off. Where it, oh, in the hunt? Yeah, they had them in, the, in hunt. the hunt. All right, right, we're in the hunt. All right. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> we're not mathematically out of it, so we're in the hunt. So uh, in the WSCR 670 podcast, Take the North, Dan Weeder and – Oh God! Uh, David Hall, we're talking about that, and, but I think this is really interesting, and I actually let it run a little longer than some of the other clips because I thought that what they were talking about was really fascinating. You look at I like team. Hall, even if he hates me. <laughs> I, I know he, he he called me the other day and said, "Hey, I'd love to go on your show, but if Dan's going to be on there, no fucking way." <laughs> <laughs> he hates me like I hate Steve Stenstrom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, these guys are saying that there's a bunch of teams who just have one or two more victories in the Bears, that the Bears could easily be those teams. But I'll, I'll let them talk about it. Six or five and seven. That's what I would define as the pack. Three of these teams are currently inside the playoff picture. The Atlanta Falcons leading the uh, South at six and six. Mm -hmm. The Vikings and the Packers in position to take those last two wildcard slots at six and six. Mm -hmm. Also in that mix, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Saints. Okay, so that's the mix. And that mix is not that far away from where the Bears are mm -hmm. currently. That is also not the target zone. And so I, I, I always reflect back on 2020 and uh, what I call the seventh seed seduction with the expansion of the playoffs and, and the Bears fighting to the end to steal that seventh seed and then winning that wild card berth in a way that gave people inside the organization belief that they were a legitimate playoff team when we knew that they weren't, that they had only benefited from expanded NFL playoffs that awards mediocrity more than it ever has. And so my worry is in trying to reach the pack and then treating that as a desirable destination when getting close to annually competing for championships is 300 miles away. Now, look, that's the next stop for the Bears. They've got to get there. They've got to get closer. they got to get competitive. They are making strides in that direction. But I also just caution against the idea that, oh, we're, we're, we're close to being in that, that weird mix of teams that's just mediocre enough to, to stay in the playoff race until the end of the season. It's a good distinction to make because I think it speaks to 
how you define success. And I've always been one that probably too quickly looks at uh, the parity in the league and finds that irresistible. And then you just want to be good enough to get in the tournament or you just want to be good enough to win a division or sneak in the playoffs. And once you're there, anything can happen. When I, when I wonder if that's a great approach to being, you know, a productive franchise and maybe, you know, profitable and everyone in the NFL is profitable. But, but you know what I mean? It's like you can just seduce yourself <clears throat> and fool yourself into thinking that that's good enough. And I think what's happened at Hallis Hall over the years of, of struggle right. uh, that that's become, well, almost akin to what, you know, franchises like the Chiefs and the Patriots and, you know, maybe even like the 49ers, that's getting Eagles. to the middle of the pack and the Eagles. Yeah, that's a good example. The, getting to the middle pack for the Bears is like getting to the Super Bowl for those franchises. And it's got to change. The, you got to change the mindset, I think, to be able to sustain success. But that's a lot. And that's a lot to expect. So I, I wonder, I do wonder what what the approach will be after the season. Will they convince themselves that, boy, you look, you rattled off seven teams right now that are in the hunt and the bears can convince themselves delude themselves maybe into thinking they're two plays away from being in the hunt because because they are well yeah one play against the broncos one play against the lions they're six and six and we're sitting here entirely different conversation but is that sustainable and is that even legitimate i don't know that that, that's a an entirely valid point and i think probably the best way to sum up what you said there is good good enough can no longer be good enough for the people at house hall, right? We need to be aiming higher. We need to be aiming for bigger goals. And it's not just to sneak into the playoffs every once in a while and, and say, ah, we did it. Okay. I've got so much to say, but Bob, I've got a comment on Bob. Okay. Did, did he see the 1998 Chicago bears after Eric Kramer went on IR the second half of that year? If uh, you thought Steve Stenstrom played well, then you and I disagree, Bob. That's all I can say. Maybe he had good footwork. I don't know. Maybe he had a good cock. Nothing else on the, that that man was effective at all. And I've never, other than maybe Jonathan Quinn or Caleb Haney, just felt like we have no shot to win with this guy. None. No fucking help. Like, we're going to lose every game the rest of the way. And we did, except the game that James Allen ran for 200 yards on the Ravens. But with regards to David Haw. Hold and on a second. Hold on a second. Ahead, please. Just go for, ahead. for some context here. Sure. Bob wrote Steve Centrum. He had good footwork on April 11, 1996. Uh, Bill Walsh said his fancy footwork, you know, he he, he praised his fancy footwork. Uh, so that's what you were referring to. I want to just say that for our audio podcast people. Oh, who are yeah. Who, I, the fuck, just... who the fuck is Bob? <laughs> well, Again, I'm not trying to say Bob is wrong because what no, we're saying no. is a, we're both talking opinion. Well, he's saying that's a fact that that Walsh said that, and right. that's okay. I, I didn't know he said that, but I'm not saying that Bob is wrong if he's a fan of Stenstrom, but it's also my right to think that Steve Stenstrom was awful as the Bears quarterback. And of my lifetime, I thought he was the worst quarterback I've ever seen. And that includes Will Fuhrer, the lefty from Virginia Tech, or Jonathan Quinn. I just thought he was just goddamn awful. But if we can get it back on uh, track with that video, I I don't know why we're supposed to apologize for being in the playoff run. Like, remember before it was five playoff spots, and then it was six. And for 30 years it was six spots, and they made it seven. I mean, I'm going to switch sports. But, you know, the NBA lets all kinds of teams in there, right? And remember – uh, Dikembe Mutombo and the Nuggets were the eighth seed, and they knocked Seattle out. They were the number one seed. 
Uh, Golden State did it uh, to Dallas the year after they lost to the Heat in the in the finals in 06. They came back with uh, uh, David Baron Davis and and knocked them out. They were the eighth seed. So it's an aberration. I get it that the low team like that wins, but sometimes it happens. The mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Steelers were the low seed when they won the Super Bowl 40. The Giants, when they won 42 and they beat undefeated New England, were the lowest seed in the NFC. You can't, you don't, you can't apologize. I mean, if you're the Bears right now and you're at Eberflus and you're telling your guys, hey, if we get a couple more wins in there, we could be in the playoff hunt. How could you criticize him for that? Mm-hmm. Every team wants to make the playoffs, and anytime the Bears get in the hunt, you got Dan Weeder coming up with his negativity again. It's oh, it's not good to even be the seventh seed. Mm-hmm. Well, I-, I beg to differ. Yeah, but I do uh, uh, understand and, and approve of the message that the seventh seed isn't good enough. Yes, it's good enough this year, and it's maybe it's good enough next year, but. We have to progress to a point where we're the third seed, the second seed, have a complete buy throughout uh, the first week uh, of the playoffs because we're the first seed. We have to get to that point. And, and that leads me to a topic that I wanted to talk about regarding Justin Fields' future. So how would you feel, Dan, if – because I, I look at Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is is held up as this example. You got a young quarterback. He's playing outstanding football, blah, blah, blah. But then you look at who he's got around him. Tight end, right. George Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel, uh, Brendan Ayuk, uh, Christian McCaffrey as a running back. Those are fucking weapons that even Steve Stetstrom would play good quarterback for a whiff. I don't know about that, but Steve Young, <laughs> Steve Young would have. That's for sure. Steve Young may become a Hall of Famer because of the weapons around him in San Francisco and Tampa Bay. He was nothing. <laughs> so my question to you is: We should definitely keep Justin Fields and bring in Marvin Harrison Jr. and whoever the other big offensive weapon is. Not an alignment. Fuck that. I want you know Gail Sayers, Walter Payton. I want a great running back or a great tight end like the kid from Georgia, this Brock Bowers and Marvin Harrison or one of the other electrifying. There's there's like a half dozen guys uh, that are played the wide receiver who look like they these guys are going to be like the fucking Jamar Chases and Jalen Whittles, this new generation of receivers that are coming in. These guys are going to join them and be great receivers. So I would love to give Justin all the fucking weapons he any quarterback would love. And so if it doesn't work with Justin, then we bring in a quarterback, maybe even a veteran quarterback, and the team is set. The defense is playing well. You got fucking Marvin Harrison Jr. and DJ Moore and Cole Komet and a good running back, two or three good running backs. You know, you're loaded. So what's wrong with that idea? What's wrong with proceeding with that idea? I asked you, Dan, and I asked the people in the chat. I agree with you. I mean, you would think that that's the way to go. And everyone says Harrison Jr. is like this can't-miss wide receiver. I don't watch enough college uh, to know that, but assuming that he is, then if you're the number one spot and maybe you trade to the second team and pick up a draft pick and they draft their quarterback and then you get Harrison mm-hmm. and then the extra pick that you get out of it, maybe you get your fucking left tackle or your center then, and then you're on your way. You know, we're going to have to get some more help in the secondary because you have to think Eddie's going to be gone. You may need another corner if you don't re-sign Jalen. So yeah, trading to get more picks 
if you get the wide receiver too, I mean, it sounds like the way to go, but I'm just a dude on the microphone, so I can't, but I agree with you. If I could say one thing though, on one of the chats, the, one of the comments, someone brought sure. up, somebody brought up Craig Krenzel. And again, far be it for me to be a Craig Ken, Krenzel uh, apologist, but he did win three straight games in 2004. He won three straight against Tennessee, San Francisco, and he beat Kurt Warner, who was a giant, which ended up being the last game before Eli got his start, first start. That game was at, at New York, too. I've blocked out that whole era. <laughs> Rick Meyer is definitely a valid point, and I want to point out, again, that John Buffone has a Rick Meyer jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that, he probably, that he probably wears on his show from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Good stuff there. You know, and, and somebody, uh, I lost it. I should have started. But somebody said, uh, I think it was C-Sharp. There it is. He says, address the lines first, the offensive and defensive line. And, hey, that's fine. That, that's fine. But find a way. You have to find an X receiver for DJ Moore, a big, tall, six foot two, six foot three, six foot four. Marvin Harrison, by the way, is six foot four, 215 pounds, wide receiver who's a big target for Justin and has blazing speed like Harrison does. He's four four, is, is estimated. You got to find some guy. And there are other guys. There are other guys. But if you draft uh, an offensive lineman or free a free agency, bring in an offensive lineman to give a superstar to the offensive line. Uh, let's say we want to give up on Braxton Jones, which I don't think we should, but let's say we're going to draft one of these great left tackles that are coming out in the draft. And now you have Darnell Wright, and and, and at left tackle you have a, a, another rookie who are going to be with the team for the next 10 years. Eventually they're going to be making a lot of fucking money, but you want that for your team. And then you get another pass rusher opposite Montez Sweat. It's, to me... That's that's an immediate seven eight wins. Now you just need... they got to get a new another center though. I agree. Maybe I that agree. guy from Miami that everybody's talking about the free agent. In fact, I think the center position right now is more important uh, of an acquisition than the left tackle because I really, I still really like Braxton Jones. I think he's getting better and better. And now you need a center, whether it's a veteran or there's a couple of centers coming out uh, that are considered, you know, like plug and play guys. Uh, the kid from Georgia and the kid from Oregon, I believe. So, uh, and and they're like second, third round guys. So you don't have to how's waste that, any of the first rounders. How's that guy doing that you liked? Uh, I think you played at Minnesota. It was yeah. the center. Is he balling this year? What's he doing? Yeah. He started off uh, slow, started to play really well, and then got injured was the last that I saw. Oh. I'm forgetting what team he was with. Yeah, uh, his videos, uh, he made me want to draft him too, you know, personality-wise. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, Jay Grizz says, I would love to get Bowers too. Bowers is the tight end from Georgia. And I'm telling you, Dan, if you have Bowers and Colt Komet as your two tight ends, now. Not with this offense. They don't tar They don't target Komet enough now. <laughs> You're right. And uh, Tongan gets no, no, gets nothing. He caught 50 passes for Green Bay. They don't even, mm -hmm. they, Getsy doesn't know how to utilize any of these weapons. Mm. So if you get all these weapons, you, you've got. Even if it's the sort of the same offense and you just let Getsy go and hire somebody else from the staff to keep mm -hmm. continuity for Justin, God, it just Getsy wouldn't know what to do with all these weapons. He'd have no idea. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is uh, regarding the center position is 
Greg Gabriel pointed something out a couple of shows ago and in, in, in the most recent show is that he has seen teams convert guards to centers. You know? No, no, we're not going to make Jenkins a center now too, are we? I wouldn't do that. But what about <laughs> Jay Tyree Carter, who has played good at right guard and left guard? Maybe well, he's the maybe he's the answer. Uh, maybe he's already under roster. It seemed to stunt Whitehair's growth when they kept moving him around. Yeah, you're right about that. That is it definitely true. hurt Kyle Long. Yeah, even though Long didn't go to center, but when they started fucking around, putting him at tackle, and then he got hurt, and it just he was never the same again. Kyle Long has promised Greg Gabriel that he's going to come on uh, Greg's podcast, so um, that should happen after the season when things slow down a little for Kyle Long. That'll well, be he's interesting. Been on, he's been on your show. Yeah, but we, you know, in between then. I've called him a fucking idiot oh. <laughs> with an anger management problem because he's throwing his helmet at players and he's getting he's choking. Well, that's that was him. That was Holy Cruz. Um, all right. Anyway, um, let us see. What do I got now? All right. So we played that one of, of the NFC North. I really do think that the, you know, I, that whole Dan Weeder, David Hall thing kind of pissed me off a little bit because, as you said, it's like. Dude, you got to start somewhere. You got to get the seventh seed. I don't give a fuck if they make it in the ninth seed and to expand the playoffs. You got to start somewhere. And I think that this team is really, really close now. You know, and those two losses against the Broncos and uh, what was the other one? The uh, Lions. The Lions. If 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 we would be six and six if we didn't fuck those games up. Could have beaten the Saints too. Oh, yes. That's another one. He kept turning the ball over, uh, Bajan. Yeah. And I, I and I almost hate myself for saying this because I've been there before. During the Dave Wonstadt years, I used to say that if it wasn't for this play, we'd be this record. Especially during the Wonstadt because I wanted so much for him to succeed. You know, right. talking about hot coaching candidates, that was the fucking hot coaching candidate. Dave Wonstadt, defensive coordinator of the Super Bowl winning Dallas Cowboys. When we nailed him, I was fucking... And- the Giants wanted him. The Giants wanted him too. Like he had yep. his choice between both gigs, and he took Chicago. Yep. And so you know that whole narrative. Uh, I didn't want to come here, and so forth. Here's the fucking hottest candidate. He wanted to come here. We got him. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So um, we need to fix that. All right. Here I got another one of. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the Packers and what's going on over there? Apparently. The national media is falling in love with the oh Packers. I mean, this was fucking fast. They won two or three games in a row, and all of a sudden, the national media is in love with the Packers. Are you worried about the Green Bay Packers? I always worry about the Packers. Love. I always <laughs> worry about the Packers. It doesn't matter because that's our rival, and they always beat us. But, and it, I'm going to say this is a bitter Bears fan, but I believe it to be true, and they, someone can mock me if, if they like. If Justin Fields leaves an eight-minute drive down the field, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth looks over at Mike. He's like, you know, Mike, I don't know. The Bears still have the first pick in the draft, and uh, they may have to, uh, you know, as soon as Jordan loves goes down the field, he's like, you know, Mike, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, and now you got Jordan Love, and I think the Packers are set. It's like there's a, a fucking story that they're just spill. It's like that's the, the story everybody says. Mm-hmm. And 
everybody immediately says he's the guy and starts bringing up Favre and and bringing up Rodgers. But when Justin does it, they're like, I don't know. We're not sold yet. You know, it just feels like that. Everyone says the same thing. It's almost propaganda. You know, uh, the the broadcasters in the league love to sell stars and legends and myths. The Green Bay Packers to the NFL, that's a mythical uh, franchise. You know, oh, you, yeah. want, you want it to do well. Soon as the game story. started. Oh, Mike, this is going to be my home this first start at Lambeau. I'm doing a, a, a poor Collinsworth bucket, but stop it. It's not bad. The double M likes it. <laughs> well, it's just like, as soon as the game started, they're like, Oh, if you, if you've never gone to Lambeau, if you've never <laughs> gone to Lambeau, yeah, they never say that about soldier field. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, I don't want to go to Lambeau. I'm never going to Lambeau. Never. No, yet, they, they always say that about the Packers. Why should we go to Lambeau? Why? Dan, if, if next week there was a, uh, Bears game we could go to, and the next week the Packers are, are playing. Uh, the Bears are playing in Green Bay. You wouldn't come here to Chicago, stay at my home for and a watch week. it on TV with you. Sure, no, no go, to, <laughs> go to both games, the one in Soldier and the one in Lambeau. You wouldn't do that. I don't want to go to Lambeau Field. I just don't. I have. I might go to Minneapolis or even Ford Field. I have no interest in going. Uh, to uh to lambo i just don't i mean why why put yourself through that vitriol it'd be like going uh, again i'm going to use a political statement but i'll say it on both sides it would be like going to the dnc holding uh, republican propaganda and vice versa if you're going to the rnc and you're there holding biden stuff it would just be like you're in the middle of vitriol why put yourself there See, I, I've gone four times, two Bears games and two a Packers, someone else game. And neither time I had a problem. The one time after uh, the Packers came back and beat the Bears uh, late in the game, I forgot what year, uh, when we were headed to a car, some stupid fan came in and said, ah, straight to my face. But aside from that, the people we sat with, with were all respectful, respectful. Nobody gave me a problem. So it wouldn't be the vitriol. What I loved about the experience is the history of Lambeau, the the, the how, what they've done with that stadium and the in the nearby area. It's all really it should be on every NFL fan's bucket list, even if you hate the Packers. You're selling Collinsworth now. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to get that little twang in my voice. <laughs> well, it's just why why is everyone always suck up to Green Bay? <laughs> Well, you know, and I can understand as a from a as a former TV producer, I can understand you know trying to build up that myth and that legend. Mark says I'm with you, Dan. I would end up getting into a fight. None of that. <laughs> None of that. None of that. All right. So here's the clip. But why wouldn't you say you everyone should come to Chicago? Obviously, oh, I it's do. a be, it's a better city. I'm talking about the meat. You never hear them say that. I know oh. the Soldier Field looks whatever, however you want to say it looks, but inside it's a great mm-hmm. view watching the game. Great yeah. view watching the game at Soldier Field for the most part. I mean, they're never like, oh, this is historic. You know, they never put it over. And the Bears yeah. always equal good ratings. They never put the Bears over. It's always you got to bend over backwards and take it up the ass for the Packers. And I'm just not going to go into that. I'm just, I'm never going. Fuck them. I, I I've think, never been in the state of Wisconsin and I'm never going. I think that it, it, the reason that it's that way is because the Bears are so fucking awful. <laughs> 
I was not making friends in Green Bay. Were you following me? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> uh, you know, and Jamal is absolutely right. The Bears are a sleeping giant. Our fan base is worldwide. All we need is some fucking winning seasons. And they'll be saying, come. Come to the old soldier field before they tear it down. I'm telling you, it's a nice view. You can see the top of the skyscrapers. <laughs> so I'm going to play this clip. And, and it has to do with the subject that we're talking about. This is Mullion Hall, and I think it's, if I remember correctly, I did this all the way this morning, and I've had a couple of beers since then. I think it's Troy Aikman talking about Jordan Love, his progression, and, and uh, or actually, I think it's Olin Krutz. It's Olin Krutz. Packers playing uh, at Lambeau, beating the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, and Jordan Love doing it again. He was consistent. He's been pretty efficient, and last night, you know, he protected the football and he threw the touchdown passes and, he, and he's he's really on that path, surprisingly to, to some of us. Uh, I just wonder what your biggest takeaway was on Sunday and how impressed you are by the Packers. Uh, the Packers look good last night. You can't argue. And they've looked good now, you know, for I think they won four of the last five games, right? They're back to six and six now. I think they won their last three. And anytime you beat the Chiefs, that's impressive. We all know Coach uh, with uh, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, that's not an easy win there, but... You know, when I was watching it, uh, actually, I was thinking to myself, man, uh, they got the secret sauce, right? You got to sit for two years behind a Hall of Famer. The problem mm -hmm. is you got to find a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's the <laughs> hardest thing to do, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe not rushing these quarterbacks to play are the best things. But he sure looks like he, he's playing quarterback at a high level. Uh, you know, they don't even have their left tackle, Bakhtiari, and they're still winning these games. Their running back, Aaron Jones, is out. Uh, they're still winning these games. The defense with all their high draft picks uh, playing at a high level right now and, and really competing. They got that pass rush with Gary. And they just got a lot of guys, man. Uh, they got a lot of things that, that are winning football games right now. Uh, none more than Jordan Love, uh, who's, playing, who's playing good quarterback. And, you know, something from, from a Chicago Bears guy, a uh, guy who's uh, lived in Illinois now since 1998. Uh, it's not the most comfortable feeling to watch that guy play quarterback at that level when you're watching him play. And, and those guys have turned it around from the way they looked early in the year because, uh, you know, I, I was part of the celebration. I was saying, man, they finally got a bad quarterback, right? We're happy about the fact that the Packers were going to struggle. And now all of a sudden, uh, they seem to have fixed that problem. And, and it's, you know, in the division, young quarterback, really young football team, just a future of the Chicago Bears. When you're looking at the overall picture there uh, for a team that's, you know, we, you know, just not doing very well the last for, for, for a long time now here in Chicago to see the Packers again back on a winning streak, back with a capable quarterback. Uh, gosh, it just seems like if they had the secret sauce up there and it's been forever uh, that they've had really good quarterback play. Looked like Mully was having some chest pain there at the end of that. Was <laughs> that Mike Mulligan? I kept thinking, who is that? It didn't yeah. look like him to me. No, it's Mike Mulligan and uh, David Hall on the right. But what do you think about what Olin was saying? Because <laughs> it it is a fucking scary proposition. What if Jordan Love turns out to be another all-pro, pro bowl caliber quarterback don't give I mean, a shit just as long as we beat him you know it's like if he's great well said. but but well the said. bears are like find a way to just control the rivalry again then let them have a good quarterback just as long as we don't get just beaten every time the way we did for the most part for 30 years i don't care if he's good otherwise i i, I don't have any heat with jordan love yet I have, I have no reason to dislike him other than his uniform like i dislike rogers like he stole from me I dislike Favre like he stole from me. <laughs> Why do so, you dislike Mahomes like that, though? 
because it's I'm so jealous of all the preferential treatment that he gets. And when you get 90% of the calls, that's why he can't complain about the lack of PI at the end of the game. Like I told you, you can't bite the hand that feeds when the officials constantly help you. So it's like there's an there's a reason they want they want KC in the primetime game. How many primetime games has Kansas City been in this year? It feels like 12. But, yeah, well, they're the defending champs, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. They're going to push him, and they're going to help him every step of the way, and I resent it. Pure envy. I, I concur. Thank you, Joe. Says we're on a roll tonight. You know why? It's because we're worried about the Tooch. <laughs> Where are you, Tooch? You know, I actually, when I read that message from you saying Tooch is inactive tonight, I actually got nervous. I'm like, holy shit, how are we going to fill that 9 o'clock hour without his birthday appearance? Uh, we haven't done a solo show, just the two of us, for a while now, right? That it's it's gone fine, I think. I I think we're getting good reviews. So, so you know, we got one thumbs up according to my thumbs up counter. <laughs> All right. You know who Molly looked like in that clip to me? I can't think of the guy's name. It's one of those fuckers that works for a WFAN. Oh, uh, uh, I know who you're talking about. Freshka or Fresh, whatever his name is. That's what. You, yeah, well, the guy that used to do a show with somebody else. The, the yeah, people. yeah, he looks like one of those New York uh, radio guys to me. He does. Towards the end of the clip, he started grabbing his chest. I was wondering if he was having <laughs> some kind of a problem. That's the way I feel. I'm like dipkin 88 right now over my neck. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a heart attack here. Jesus. Sweating over my fucking uh, thing on the back of my neck. <laughs> You'll be fine, man. Well, Ditka only missed one game. So, that's right i gotta All be right. in cleveland the week after regardless if i'm sick or not <laughs> i got one more clip and then i'm gonna play uh, a series of commercials from some of the podcasts that we know and love or maybe we don't know and what we should know and love them uh but first i want to play this clip this is uh oh gosh i'm drawing a blank of on his name uh, Pat the Designer. Sorry, Pat. Pat the Designer hosts a uh, ESPN podcast called the Chicago Bears Podcast, and he, yeah, he does that. the post the post post game after the games. Yes, yes. Uh, very talented guy. Really enjoy his work. Um, I wish I could catch it more often. But I caught this clip of him talking uh, with Lance Briggs about bad football. And I think I want to talk with you about this, Dan, afterwards because I have seen a proliferation of what the is really some fucked up football throughout the NFL. There's a lot of bad football out there. There's a lot of good football as well now. The, the good teams are starting to separate themselves. But there's Tom, a lot Brady, of Tom Brady just recently talked about uh, the, the mediocrity in the league now and yeah. how talent, you know, and, and, and coaching has really taken a step back, you know, and at, at this time of the year, majority of the team should be at their sharpest. Yeah. We shouldn't see uh um um undisciplined games at the level that we're seeing it all around the league yeah so that does lead me to believe a lot of things that he's saying is true you know coaching is taking a hit you know our our league is taking a hit you know yeah. in a lot of ways when, from being able to hit you know how they officiate uh uh, uh pass interference how they officiate a lot of things you know how it's all the, the the new rules ruling system the way it's the way it's uh, it's dealt out, um, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting it's, that in that this far into the league into the into the season, 
there's a lot, so much undisciplined play. Yeah. And to me, I think, I I think there is a part of it that is on the NFL as well, though, because I mean, going into every single game, you never know what you're getting from these referee crews or what their, what their focal point is. Like the, the, the final play last night, where to me, clear PI on both shots downfield. But you call PI on those earlier in the game. It's like so. Okay, like if if the refs give you consistency, if the league gives yeah, you call consistency, make your calls right down the line. Keep yeah, your calls right down the line. Don't don't call this one this time, and then the same play, similar play. You call it this way. You're like, yeah, let's keep them this way, baby. I think I think that make it that it makes it very hard. Now it's not like it's something new, right? Y'all dealt with referees like that, and when you played as well. But like, I feel like it makes it that much harder to try and go out there and say, okay, we know he's going to call this. We can't make this mistake. And then you don't make that mistake. And then they call it that time. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you didn't do that two plays ago. What happened? Hmm. Well, um, I wouldn't play it that way. I wouldn't coach it that way either. I would just say, listen, we have to have a uh, uh, a, a short memory, you know, because the way that the game is officiated now, the way that the rules have changed now, we're going to play this game at 100 miles an hour so the chances of us getting a penalty or something happening, whatever it is, we have to reload, come back the next play, forget about that last play, and come out and ready to make another play. Dan, you are really the barroom historian, and I would put up your knowledge of football, particularly football, since the 1980s, maybe 70s on. So you, you've seen, you've looked at, Lots of DVDs of teams outside of Chicago playing big games and so forth. How would you compare the quality of football from yesteryear to the quality of football we're seeing in the NFL now? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say anything that's different than anything they just said. Although it is weird that Pat, the designer, can criticize errors of football. And I like him, but he was born in like 95. I mean, w- what era did he watch? I mean, this is his era. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's like, football was much better when I was five. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is his era, you know? But Yeah, I, I guess. Go I'm ahead. just, yeah, it just, it feels like the officials are inconsistent and constantly blowing games. It, it, far be it for me to take up for the Saints because I hate them and they cheated way back when uh, Sean Payton was coach, you know, to get in the Super Bowl. But remember that play the Rams got into the Super Bowl with and ended up making a P.I. You could challenge P.I. for one year because of how bad that Saints championship game ended. And then they took it away again. And it's, it again, if you're the Bears against whomever mm-hmm. and you get off the field, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, incomplete. They're going to throw a flag depending on who the other team is. If you're Kansas City and you're Mahomes and you throw an incomplete pass, you start whining, they throw the flag for you. Mm-hmm. It's you can say, I know normally I feel like you would be like, Are you saying there's a conspiracy? <laughs> like, I'm not saying that people get together in a room and say we're gonna cheat today, but I think they know what the mandate is and they help the good teams and they always fuck the bad teams. And they I just think- steal games, man. Yeah, I think that there is some implicit bias uh, by the part of officials. I, I, I've heard officials talk about it themselves. You know, you you give Michael Jordan, you give you know Brett Favre the benefit of the doubt because these guys are have accomplished so much. So much. Um, 
And that's why they don't need it because like, I, I, again, we've argued so many times, not like viciously at each other, but I told you, I didn't like Utah at all, but I thought the Russell play was an offensive foul. And in my opinion, because Jordan is so great or was so great in 1998, he doesn't, he doesn't need that call. So the one time he does push off like that, you do call it because nine out of 10 times he's going to beat him straight up anyway. So you don't mm -hmm. give him an advantage to beat him like his natural talent's going to beat him 90% of the time to begin with. So right. why do you have to give him the one time Russell maybe shuts him down, you allow him to get pushed on the floor and you don't call it. But again, that was in Utah. They Malone had the ball stolen from him, so they had a shot. I mean, they put themselves in that in that predicament. Very true. Are you surprised at how uh, Lance Briggs is aging? There's a few comments about that. Oh, are you in, the gray? Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't color his hair, I guess. Uh, I mean, versus Forte, Forte was making his like super black where you could tell he was dyeing his beard and stuff when he was working mm -hmm. on that. So it just, it doesn't bother me. I mean, like, Lance was a rookie in 03. So he's probably what, 45, 46 now? I mean, eventually you go gray, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, Charles Woodson's one, rocking the gray. It doesn't seem to bother him. No, not at all. The one thing that uh, about, there's two things about Briggs that I'd like to share. Number one is he has gotten a little chunky, you know, and he and and he actually started getting chunky his last few years in the league. Don't yeah. You think? Yeah, in 13, definitely, because he was on IR and he didn't expect to get brought off of it. Yeah. And when we needed yeah. him, that's that game Philly beat us like 51 to 3 or 7. Mm -hmm. And that Sunday night where we could have clinched the playoff berth. Mr. Shorty says you dye your hair. Is that true? I, I do. I do color my hair. I didn't say anything. I didn't criticize Forte or, or Briggs for either dying or not dying. That's right. But I don't, I don't have gray yet, uh, per se. I, I don't. You just do it for what reason? Because uh, I've told you many times, not that, that anybody cares about this, but uh, like my dad and, and his dad, all of them had really dark skin and, and dark hair and brown eyes. But my grandmother had red hair and, and blue eyes. And so I always felt like I didn't even look like my family. You know what I mean? So I started dyeing my hair darker like because I wanted to look like my dad. Ah, okay. Well, that's beautiful. My hair was medium brown anyway, but my mom's hair was dark brown. But somewhere, mm -hmm. like like I said, my great-grandma and my grandma were both redheads, so it blends in to make me a mutt, you know? <laughs> that's funny. Well, regarding the state of uh, the quality of football, I agree. It has gotten worse. But what really struck me about the comments that Lance made and uh, he attributed them to Tom Brady, but he feels the same way, is the quality of coaching. That, I believe, is true. That is why we are seeing some of the bad football. It, it's coaches who have not dealt with the new rules regarding CBA and the reduced practice time. We all can blame the CBA, and we do, and I have. You know, uh, yeah, it's because the tackling is terrible because they're not hitting as much as they used to. Fucking CBA. But there are 
things that coaches can do, innovative coaches can do to get around that and to get the best tackling they can out of their players. There are offenses that can be run effectively if you know the learning capabilities of your players, how they like to learn, are they audible listeners, uh, do they prefer to listen to learn audibly or visually or talk, you know, what, whatever. I don't think there's enough coaches who pay attention to these things and, and implement them in the proper way. It's hard for me to disagree with it's uh, sorry to step on you. So it's hard for me to disagree with Lance Briggs or Tom Brady, because I've never stepped on a professional football field and played, but I think if you're asking just for an opinion, From a fan's perspective, it feels like part of the problem, even with the defense, is all the rules seem to go against them. And if they have a really good tackle, you know, it could just be their shoulder. They're still going to draw a flag, though. So you have to, at all times on defense, you have to worry about how are they going to call a fucking bullshit penalty on me? And all the rules help the offense and the officials help the offense, especially if you're playing someone like Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. If you get off the field, you're like, oh, man, we knocked the ball down. They're going to call illegal contact or PI or roughing the passer. So if you're a defense, you, a defensive guy, you, you can't really – how can you ever feel like you're confident enough to, to just play? You always have to worry that they're going to throw a penalty regardless of what I do. Mm-hmm. If, it, if they want to give the Chiefs another first down, they're going to. Again, like the, the, we saw the play a few, years, a few weeks ago at Dexter – when he came down, how is that roughing the passer? It wasn't. It was not roughing the passer. That's the Aaron Rodgers call, though, a few years ago when he got sacked in Minnesota and got hurt. They're like, oh, we got to change the rule. You can't, uh, the defensive player is not allowed to like fall down on top of him, too. But they've yeah, but been doing it like that for 50 years, but you can't, you can't do that now. Dad, to your point about, you know, the rules favoring the defense, uh, 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 against the defense, against the defense. Uh, scoring is down in the National Football League this year. I mean, it's like dramatically down, like two or three points doesn't sound like a lot, but when you factor in, you know, how many games and blah, blah, blah. Well, you got uh, Tim Boyle playing in New York. That's that's a bigger problem. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. All right, I didn't realize that we were already 10 minutes past the hour, so I want to uh, switch subjects here quickly. I want to do a shout-out to a lot of our friends. A couple of them are in the – in the chat room, uh, people who are who created their own podcast networks, networks, people who have been on the show, we've talked to, we like, we love, uh, our friends of ours are, are going to be friends of ours, uh, and, and give them a shout out. And so I asked them to submit some commercials to me so that I can run on the show. And so for this first time, in the future, I'll, I'll sprinkle them in sporadically. But for this first time, I wanted to play them back to back to back to back and give a general acknowledgement. Uh, but uh, this won't be the first time. And if they want to update their commercials and other podcast networks want to submit a commercial, I'd be happy to show it here in the bar room. Our philosophy is we're all part of the Bears community and we should all be able to get along and promote one another. And if you don't want to promote uh, want a promotion from us or don't want to promote us, that's fine too. You know, as long as we all treat each other respectfully, we should do that. I know uh, uh, when we were the Bears Barroom, we had uh, on some occasions where we crossed that that uh, 
divide and I'm not happy about that, but that's stuff that I approved in the past. And so that's on me. But anyway, here's our uh, here's some podcasts, commercials from some of our friends. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL? I have. The quarterback position is arguably the most difficult position in all of sports due to its physical and mental nature. Join me by watching me on this channel on my journey to become an NFL quarterback. nice very nice to all of you uh dan you got a favorite from one of those four commercials outside of the one that you're on <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're all good yeah they're uh, all really good. i if i'm i'm being critical and i don't mean to be the lady that we've had on the show alexis I, uh, yeah i would want her to expand on that a little farther like how mm -hmm. is she going to show us that like i think she needed another 30 seconds yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and she's actually making another commercial for us with some more details. So we'll be running that when when I, and when I get it. Uh, but uh, to fill in the blanks there uh, on her YouTube channel called Alexis Jade, she has started a podcast series on her adventure to become an NFL quarterback, which is a great fucking idea. I wish I would have thought of it. Um, and uh, I haven't watched any of the episodes yet, but I think there's two or three that have been produced already. So I'm anxious to take a look at those. And we'll be talking more about that because she'll be a guest on, I'm hoping, uh, in the future. We'll talk about that and her other podcast, podcast, which is called Chicago, which is, again, a very fucking clever name. I agree. Um, what would you think of uh, uh, Swifty's commercial? Did you like did that? I, one? I did. I just was thinking Nomad when you asked me that. So, um, go ahead. Start with Nomad. Nomad's production was good. I liked it. I liked the oh, the, yeah. the music. The music that was going on with it. Uh, I liked his spot. Yeah, and that narrator. I mean, that guy must have had balls the size of Hallis Hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck. <laughs> but it is totally in Nomad's character, right? For his commercial to say, we're the fucking best. You don't need anybody else. We're the fucking best. I love that about Nomad. He is so confident in his takes and stuff. That uh, in fact, I think it was C Sharp that created. The, oh, C Sharp was the voice. <laughs> uh, 
I think it's Charles Washington. C sharp, correct me if I'm wrong. That's your, your real name is Charles Washington. He produced the spot for Nomad, and it's and he's saying those are the balls. But uh, it's a great spot, and um, I tune into their show, uh, the on demand portions, just to get a taste of what they're doing, and they do excellent, excellent work. Swifty, if you're not following Swifty, Swifty, like his commercial says, almost twenty thousand subscribers, and he is just straight with breaking news he covered the eric b enemy thing today um he's just on top of stuff so uh any thoughts on his commercial there god i don't want to seem like a dick towards swifty because i have no hostility or malice it the commercial didn't stand out to me and i don't mean that negatively i swear to god i don't i if you ask me to say what it said i i i i don't know i i retained nomads because the music and again maybe it's just the fm dj and me it caught my attention. I the uh, the other Dan's caught me because uh, I I laugh anytime he has his facial expressions in some of those photos. I laugh with him, not at him. But I just think, oh man, he's fucking fun, you know. Uh, and and the lady, she stood out because okay, how's she gonna be? How's she gonna tell me to be a quarterback? And I think the Swifty one just kind of got lost in the shuffle to me. If I'm if I'm really being a focus group, I'm not trying to be negative toward him at all. I. Trust me, you're not because he didn't do the commercial. I did. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not being negative toward you either. <laughs> no, it's fine. That's good commentary. That's good. He, I wrote him and say, listen, can you on short notice do a commercial for me? He goes, yeah, what are you looking for? And then I said, you know what? I'll just fucking do something for him. If he likes it, then I'll run it. And, and I put put that together. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be critical of you or anybody you're else. Not, dude, you can be critical of me. Just don't make fun of the size of my penis okay <laughs> <laughs> all right it wasn't bad it just didn't re- it didn't stand out to me that's all, all. right i'm gonna read to it all right take it easy all right, <laughs> all right. uh and then uh, you commented on, on bears country podcast i thought this was very very well done it covered like all everything that they cover and uh excellent job and i think he says he's doing a, uh, uh another one uh it is chris washington I, I hope I got that right. So great job, Nomad. Great job, uh, Bears Country P- Productions. Not so good a job, Swifty. I'll do better next time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like and, an asshole. Don't. I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> this makes me laugh. You're bringing <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Cliff says penis wasn't bad. Just didn't stand out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last thing I want to talk about in the 15 minutes I have with you, Dan. And when you leave me like this at 1030, you really know that it gives me great depression, right? Um, I thought Michael Warburton is a, is a actor who, if you're not following him on Twitter or X, you really should, if you love movies like Dan and I do, uh, because he puts up scenes from great movies and comments on them. He'll put up trailers, facts and stuff. And and some days he's very active and he puts out great stuff. Well, he put out a trailer for a movie that I thought was just recently released, but I learned later that it was released back in 2009. I want to show you the trailer and then Dan and I are going to talk about the actor that the trailer is talking about. This was a very unique actor. He taught me about asking questions and not having to answer them. 
That's the beauty. Whether it was intuition or he was consciously doing it, I don't really know. Brando, Pacino, Duvall, and he uh, he stood toe to toe with those guys. The great thing about Cazale is he never ever loses sight of who that character is. He was uh, real, and and we could react, and there was no forced kind of acting from John. Even in the funniest characters that he played, there was also always something tragic in it. Even in the most tragic characters, there was always something very funny. He's really diligent person. He works extremely hard. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Did you say you wanted to get away from me? What the hell is that? What is this? I'm your older brother, Mike, and I will step over. Dad, tell me why you love that trailer and want to see this movie. I bought it on eBay a few hours ago when you told me <laughs> you told me it wasn't on Max. I was like, yeah, that'll be great. And then yeah. you're like, holy shit, it's from 2009. Like, what? How did I miss this? Yeah, I always, I, the myth of this guy, because he got sick. Like it says, he did five movies. Right. So he does Godfather in 72, Conversation in 73, Dog Day Afternoon 75. Uh, uh, what's other than Deer Hunter? What else am I missing? Uh, conversation did you oh, say? Oh, Godfather 2. Godfather 2. Oh, yeah. So he does he goes Godfather, then the conversation, then Godfather 2, then Dog Day, and then the Deer Hunter. Uh mm -hmm. so he dies really early. And he so he was so sick while they're doing the Deer Hunter that they wanted to replace him. And mm -hmm. De Niro was so adamant that he paid his salary to keep him on the film. And I thought, man, Robert De Niro is somebody who's historically, according to most people, an asshole who cares about himself and himself only. So how good was this guy for De Niro to be like, I'll pay his fucking salary. That's how great he is. Like, and it was fucking Meryl Streep. Like, not that I, you know, think Meryl Streep's hot or something, but she's got a lot of, you know, she's an actress with Academy Awards. So the guy's an MVP is what I'm saying, a supporting acting MVP. And I always wanted to know more about him because he and Robert Shaw both died around the same time too, like late 78, somewhere through there. Right. So I did not know this existed. So yeah, I do want to see it. And it's tragic that he died. So, you know, suddenly, mm -hmm. but I'd like to hear more about that. And, 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 you know, I'll ask you this before mm -hmm. getting your comments on it. I, I was talking to my friend, Justin, who I work with here. And he, he told me, he said, you're the only other person I know that thinks Godfather one is better than two. This is he talking to me. And he asked me why I thought that. And I said, well, for one, uh, Brando dying in front of the grandson, it's hard. That that pure emotion, oh, my God, that's incredible. Like in mm -hmm. a negative but sad, poignant way. So you're losing Sonny, right? You're losing Sonny. You're losing Brando. And Pacino's not very likable in part two. You can relate to him in the first one. He's pushed in this role. He doesn't want it. And you feel how nervous he was in the subway when he's got to commit the murder or the restaurant. But you hear the subway and you see his eyes and his jaw. <laughs> And it's so captivating. But in part two, the shit he does to Kay at the end, like, what an asshole. And the Fredo thing, that's my question. Like, it even said it in the trailer. 
What did Fredo do? I can't really define what Fredo did that was so double-crossing worthy of his death. He um, yeah, he told, um, first of all, when Al Pacino went, when uh, Michael Corleone went to Florida, Fredo defended Johnny, what's his name? The guy with the glasses and stuff. You don't come to Vegas and talk to what's his name that way. Yeah, when he got shot in the eye later, right? Right. Mo Green. Mo Green. Thank you. Mo Thank Green. you. Love that name, too. <laughs> um, and then um, when they're at that club, uh, Fredo had told Michael, you know, we don't, we don't hang around much or something like that. And then Fredo is telling somebody, and Michael overhears, um, Fredo saying, yeah, Mo brought me here a while ago. We've been back a number of times, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And that's when Michael realizes this motherfucker is plotting with Mo. And so you that, think he wanted us uh, to assassinate Pacino? I don't think it was assassination. It was to, to get that deal done in Cuba done in favor of, uh, well, the height, the Batista regime is fading there, and obviously Castro is taking over at the climax of that scene when they're New Year's Eve 59 when they're there. Mm -hmm. I just, I never understood what Fredo did that was so worthy of killing him in the fucking boat fishing. Yeah, I think it was just simply betrayal. It was betrayal, and uh, in the family, you just don't fucking do But didn't that. Pacino jettison him? Like, you know, and like, it's one thing he, like he said, he skipped me over and they all sent thought he was weak. Sent him to Vegas. Right? Yeah. And he, but he's the one that sent him out. And then you can't expect him to not make relationships with the people that you send him to. I just, mm -hmm. I felt like Al, I love Al as an actor. Love mm -hmm. him as an actor. I felt like I could relate to his character in part one and in three, because in three, he's an old man who has all these regrets and. You know, things didn't go the way he wanted them to. But in part two, he's a fucking ruthless dick. And it's yeah. hard. He's, he's the bad guy in part two, in my eyes. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It, it, it had sucked him in to the point where he became uh, uh, a, a, the devil. And there's no doubt about it. And I think that's the moral archetype, the moral... It's an archetype is not the, the right word, but the moral theme of the story is just getting sucked in. His father didn't want him to be a part of the business, and he gets sucked in, and he's fucking just as bad, if not worse, than his father was. Um, it's and then in part three, you know, he wants to get out. He keep trying. They keep sucking me in. Uh, but he and, has regret over Fredo too. I mean, in yeah, that regard. Right. But uh, I think part one's better than two because. You, I think Al is unlikable in part two, and you're missing Sonny, and you're missing Brando or Vito. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that part one is better than two, in spite of the good backstory with De Niro. I got to tell you something, because it's it's on Showtime, Godfather 1, 2, and 3, Mario Puzo's Godfather You need to 3. watch the re-edit of part three, by the way. If you have yeah, I, I, I do need to see that. Um, but I the other day I watched godfather one and i had smoked a little bit of this it's called uh dog walkers it, are they a sponsor <laughs> it should be they yeah. should be I, I spend enough money on them um and they're called dog walkers because they're half the size of a regular joint and when you're walking the dog you, you know you can smoke a whole one so 
me, I'm a lightweight now. I fucking take one poke and toke and I'm like seeing things and shit. So I'm, <laughs> I'm watching The Godfather one, and all of a sudden I start laughing at Marlon Brando's performance because he's got like they say that he they put like wet tissue down his cheeks to give him that that look, and so I, I'm starting to see the how ludicrous that is. It's like, dude, why don't you just fucking act? Why why are you putting these? Wads, you know, and I knew I knew that I was being stupid because I was high, but it just became kind of this. The whole film felt like really flimsy in the acting and and the storyline and no, stuff. No, you were stoned. That's all. You were stoned. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I know it is. And uh, Mr. Mayhem is right. Serpico is a good movie. I've seen it 10 or 15 times. Uh, and I am a fan of Carlito's Way. Absolutely. All right. Before, uh, because I got seven minutes with Dan, I asked him. Send me a list of some of the supporting actors, like sort of John Cazale types, guys that are supporting actors. This is a lot harder than I thought, by the way. I I, I figured because usually you come up with like 15 names right away. You needed some time to think. And so uh, Dan, the first name that he came up with was, well, I won't say it was the first name, but one of the most impressive names for me anyway, because I totally agree. This guy, Christoph Waltz, is an outstanding fucking actor. Tell me why he's on your list. Yeah, he's such a, a good actor in Inglorious Bastards. He's the, the lead mm-hmm. executioner for the Nazis, but he, he does it with some pizzazz. Like you almost find him, uh, not rooting for him, because obviously you know, he's got these little idiosyncrasies. He likes the milk, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I, I don't know. He's just very good at being the villain. And then on the flip side, Pardon me. And Django, he's actually the good guy in some ways. He's like, oh, you yeah. know, telling Django that like, hey, I'll give you your freedom. The slavery's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, but he plays both roles. He won Best Supporting Actor for both of them. He was great in both instances. Yeah, I thought it was a great choice. His accent is is fantastic. I I I I just think this guy, I believe. Quentin Tarantino, from the Hollywood perspective, discovered him. I don't think he was in a Hollywood film before Quentin found him. And and it's just tremendous fine. This guy is phenomenal. Another guy on your, on your list was Michael Imperioli. Oh, that's a bad quality picture. I apologize, Michael. But, but tell me why you had him on your list. Oh, man. He's, again, Sopranos. Uh, he's... In some ways, I know everyone loves James Gandolfini. In some ways, I like Christopher as much as Tony. And I was pissed that, like, if I was rewriting any aspect of The Sopranos, I say that Tony, I'm sorry, Christopher and Adriana leave and flip. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, I don't want, I hated the scene when Gandolfini killed him. Fucking hated it. He's just trying to get one of the songs on the Departed soundtrack and he crashes and then he cowardly holds his nose where he makes him suffocate on his blood. Yeah, I just, I hated that, and I hated Adriana's death, too, with Silvio. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's solid, man. I liked him on that HBO show that you got me watching where he's at that, like, uh, I forget what it's called, but uh, the, Aubrey uh, Plaza was in it, too. It was yeah, so fucking. Uh, uh, White Lotus, is it? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. Man. I thought he, yeah. I thought he's solid on there. He, he, You know, he's a good recurring person, you know. He's in a lot yeah. of early, like, Spike Lee films. Mm-hmm. He was in Goodfellas. I mean, he's in a. Uh, he was really. He's a really good actor. He, he played Spider in Goodfellas, and he had the nerve to talk back to Joe Pesci, and that didn't end up well for. Her. 
right <laughs> character the very first name you came up with was very impressive john Turturro. yeah he's like he's a phenomenal again he's in a lot of spike lee films too mm -hmm. yep. and a lot of times he's like the shitty fucking pervert like he was a rapist uh, on jody foster in that one movie uh what was that called um five oh. corners oh or yeah he, he tried to rape Jodie Foster, and then he gets out of jail, and, they, and then he kills his own mom, and, and he's trying to kill her, too. He's just the, he's good at just playing the unredeemable asshole, but then he's also like the, you know, the the everyman who's looking out for himself and to live and die in L.A. He gets popped. He's like, all right, you got, you're, uh, you're pinched. You got to help me now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, I care about me now, you know, but he's also uh, can play the good guy. Yeah. And and the like uh, uh, Jungle Fever when you know he's not prejudiced and he's trying to date the lady that always comes in the the diner mm -hmm. and he gets his ass kicked for it by his own people but at the end of it it's implied that you know she takes him in and they're gonna be together I think he's just and it, that show the night of ironically we mentioned James Gandolfini if you never yes. saw that James Excellent. Gandolfini was going to play that role but he died oh is that right I didn't know that. Yeah, he was going to be the attorney with the eczema, which Turturro ended up being. Uh -huh. And dare I say, Turturro, I'm not going to say made me forget about Gandolfini because I love James Gandolfini, but Turturro was fabulous in it. He's just a really good, unheralded actor. That was the yeah. first name I threw to you because I thought, okay, you meant supporting actor, and I took it as a guy that deserves more credit than he gets. Yes. Well, and you could take it either way. You know, there's a lot of times a lot of these supporting actors, guys who are the whole uh, old Hollywood, what they used to call them character actors. I always thought, why, why doesn't, why don't they give that guy a leading role shot? And then over time, I've I've learned, yeah, he did get a leading role sh shot, and it was fucking terrible. Uh, but John Turturro can pull it off. He can be a character actor, a supporting actor, and he can be a lead actor, and he can pull it off. He is very, very special. Your list is special, too. Here's another name that I loved. Of course, Carl Weathers. This guy, you know, a lot of people think of him simply as Apollo Creed. But his comedic talents, his action hero talents, and then that that picture on uh, on the upper right hand corner is him in uh, a as a police commissioner in some TV show. Why do you love that's in, the, in the heat of the night? I believe. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, first off, it, it's cool that Carl Weathers played with Schwarzenegger and uh, Stallone in their primes. Yeah. You know, they wasn't in one of these like uh, Expendable Part Twelve or whatever. Uh, he's in Predator. Yeah, Action mm -hmm. Jackson's another good film and and he and he helps he helps the Rocky films. I've said this before like for you to buy for you being me or uh, any of us for us to buy Stallone winning in Rocky 2. The only way you can buy it is if you if you buy into Carl Weathers' character cuz he's up on points. He's uh, yeah. he's won like 12 of the 14 rounds. The only thing that you can buy, the reason he's fighting Stallone's fight, giving him the chance to win, is because mm -hmm. you, you know that he's hurt by people taunting his kids in school and mm -hmm. saying that he was a fraud and that the fight was fixed. And he's standing up for his honor, and he's got to prove that he can win. And this guy is a bum. He doesn't want to win. He has to win. His whole livelihood's on the line. 
kind of like Frazier felt against Ali in the first one. Although, ironically, Carl Weathers is sort of playing a derivative of Ali mm-hmm. as Apollo Creed, but he feels like his everything's on the line. He's got to knock him out. He can't be happy with winning on points like the split decision the first time. If you don't have the good acting in that, you just feel like, oh, it's bullshit. They're going to let Rocky win just because it's Rocky. But you understood his character, and that's a credit to Carl Weathers. And then he's such a fucking monster that by the time he's in Predator with Schwarzenegger, he's he's not as tall as a, as a man is Arnold, but he's in the da- he's got arms as big as Arnold. Mm-hmm. Like, he can be the impressive bodybuilder. He can be the, the arrogant asshole. But then as Rocky progresses, he becomes... The, you know, the protagonist to help yeah. Stallone get over the insecurities of uh, losing to Clubber. So, yeah, he, he plays the roles so effectively. And then, like, you show him in Happy Gilmore there with Sandler. I love the way you broke down Carl Weathers' career and and, and his role as Apollo Creed. It's it's super. And, and again, that's uh, the, the shot of him looking at his hand. That was from happy Gilmore. I totally forgot about that, yeah. that he loses his hand. By an alligator. <laughs> he pulls that off so well. Yeah. All right. I know you, I know you gotta go. I want to get the last couple in, uh, probably. Well, I would say, uh, this name, this guy here really impressed the fuck out of me when you pulled this because I was like, who? And then Prince I had Weaver? To look, no, this guy. Oh, he's in so many fucking things. He's yes! in like, he was uh, the Zodiac in Zodiac. Yes! That's the top one. He's in American Horror Stories and all these shows that I watch as small yes! characters. He's, I think, he, maybe Fargo. He's been around. Uh huh. This yeah, guy John is Carol the epitome. Lynch. This guy is the epitome of of the the question, the answer to the question. This guy is so perfect. Here's a guy that you I, I didn't know his name. You said John Carroll Lynch. I'm like, who the fuck is that? And then when I saw his picture, I go, holy shit, yes, this guy is perfect. And he overcome like like I remember uh, Ed Ed uh, Ed Harris uh-huh. when he got his first break. I think it was the Abyss. Mm-hmm. The story yes. was uh, we don't know if we can put him in that role because he's bald. Like Hollywood what? was that frivolous, and this guy John <laughs> Carroll Lynch has made his whole life despite having a horseshoe bald spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean he's been he's been awesome. It just appears in shows. He's never the guy, but he's usually a, a big character. And like I said, he American Horror Story. He was awesome. Let's see what else has he done that I really like. Been a the bunch of American Horror Stories. The, the clown character in American Horror Story, wasn't it uh, Twisty the Clown, <laughs> which is a great yeah. fucking... And then they give his ruthlessness, makes it makes him soft later. They make him, you make him sort of identified as almost a good guy before the series is over. Yeah, excellent. He was excellent. in Veep with Julie Louise Dreyfus. Yep, that's right. He had a big role. The there. Americans, that's what I was thinking of. He was in the Americans as well. Oh, Love the oh. Americans. And uh, that movie Zodiac, I really love it. I just feel like he doesn't have Hollywood looks, but he pulls mm-hmm. it off, and 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 you believe that he's a good actor because he is. Zach says that uh, he's you, and I don't. Years. No, I, I I mean, knock on wood, I, I don't have any hair loss. So, oh man, I do, well, but that's a different story. Uh, last one that you sent me was well, actually, you sent me two others. James Woods, I didn't. Uh, We've talked right, a lot about James. 
Yeah, so Fritz Weaver is is definitely a good name. Uh, that picture on the left there on the screen was that Twilight Zone episode that he did, which is one of the classics. Right. Um, do you remember the two other roles that, from f- the photographs on there? Not right off. When I think of yeah. Fritz Weaver, I think of like Black Sunday. He okay. was in a horror film that I love too called Creep Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, he was in a lot of Twilight Zone. But mm-hmm. Black uh, Black Sunday is the one that that uh, that stuck out to me. But yeah, Fritz is in a lot of like late seventies, early stuff and supporting roles and just sort of pops up and he's just so good in everything that I've seen him in, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Demon uh, Seed. I watched that one recently. I love Demon it. Seed. Yes. Did you, you yes. said you fell asleep on it, right? I did, but I got, I got to watch it again. Um, and, and that marathon great- man with Dustin Hoffman, marathon man, he's in great marathon man too. Yeah. So, uh, you let me know when you got to go. I got to go now, unfortunately. Okay. I got to piss too, and I got to go and get and get over to work. But yeah, if you look at his, um, just his TV <laughs> history and and his movies, the dude was everywhere. He was he was such a good actor. Yeah, Fritz Weaver definitely a good actor. Wasn't was he also in Scanners, or, or no? He was in some David Cronenberg movie. I'm not but sure anyway, right off. Unfortunately, we'll I got to go. I love the show, Aldo. Thank you for the shirt. Uh, I hope your arm's getting better and please hope that my neck is going to be okay. (laughs) I'll be praying. I know you're uh, atheist, but I'll I'll be praying. Hey, I appreciate the prayers. I could be wrong. Bring them in and go bears. Go Justin Fields. (laughs) Love you, brother. Take care. All right. Take care. Love you too. (laughs) That is Dan Aguirre, my man. Um, All right. I, I didn't have time to share my name. Let me see. I did a couple of visuals for people who I thought were um, great character acts, actors. And the, the really the first name that came to mind was Cuba Gooding. I mean, when I first saw him, in, I first saw him in the uh, John Singleton movie. Uh, what was the hell is the name of it? Somebody help me in the chat. Uh, it was like John Singleton was a African-American director. And while he was in college, he did a movie that all oh, the critics were going wild over. I, I frankly didn't like the movie as much as the critics did because I, I lived that life <laughs> of gangbaggers and, and, and the ghetto. And I, I did student movies similar to that. And I thought like, man, I wish I had gone to USC. I would have, you know, produced my own gang movie. But when I saw him, when I saw Cuba Gooding in Jerry Maguire, and he plays the uh, wide receiver from the Cardinals who is desperately looking for a big, fat contract. And um, Regina King is his wife, and he comes up with the famous line, show me the money. I thought he totally outshined Tom Cruise in that movie. He, he was fucking fabulous. Uh, uh, Cuba Gooding to me is a guy who I would love. Rod Tidwell, thank you, AC. Uh, he's definitely a guy who I would love to know more about his life. There were I, I, there were stories that he went through a lull in his career. He, he made some bad decisions on what roles to take and so forth. But 
nothing will take away the fact that he's a tremendous actor, has acted in tremendous films. Uh, his Academy Award speech when he uh, got the Best Supporting Actor Award for Cuba. Um, yeah, see, here it is. Muck Muck says, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. has been blackballed in the industry because he's a very talented actor. See, Muck Muck, I'd like to delve into that. You know, I wish I could, I had 10 lives. I could do podcasts on stories like this. This fascinates me. Why was he blackballed? What's going on? Um, Nomad is right. Terrence Howard is another great character actor and who also happens to be a guy who uh, has been blackballed to some degree. Uh, maybe blackball is too strong a word, but there's been some controversy regarding him. That guy is a fantastic actor. I can't believe that anybody wouldn't want to cast him in a row. Uh, Men of Honor is a great movie. The, the other picture I have of, of Cuba Gooding up on the screen is him as O.J. Simpson. And while he personally was great in the role, I thought he was miscast, though. You know why? First of all, Cuba Gooding is like 5'10". O.J. Simpson was 6'2", maybe even 6'3", 225 pounds. And so Cuba didn't have, and I'm talking about the 10-part series, which if you've never seen, you really should see. The People versus O.J. Simpson, I think it's called. It's a fantastic look back at the O.J. Simpson trial. Every episode is uh, is fantastic. Uh, remember Judgment Night? I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's a fantastic show. Lots of big stars playing a, a lot of the characters many of us remember from the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, but I thought he was miscast just because O.J. Simpson's physical presence you could even tell on a small TV sets when he was jumping through uh, suitcases and Hertz commercials and stuff. This guy was a fucking Adonis. He was just so big and strong. And Cuba, as you can see there, he just doesn't have the physical characteristics of O.J. Simpson. And Cuba there looks like he's maybe had a few drinks <laughs> in his time. And, and, Part of the reason I think the jury acquitted OJ was because they would fucking look at him and say, that's the most handsome man I've ever seen in my life. That, that motherfucker walks into the courtroom and I don't see anybody else but OJ, OJ. And I think the jury fell in love with Cuba and, and I mean, with OJ and Cuba doesn't exude that. Um, nonetheless, um, he's still a, a favorite of mine when it comes to uh, supporting characters. Uh, Nancy Bates, we all remember Nancy Bates from her fantastic role in Misery. She was a leading actress there. But Nancy Bates is an actress who, in any supporting role that she's in, she's going to knock it out of the park. That lower right-hand picture of her, is her as uh, one of the characters in the Titanic, the uh, unspeakable Molly Brown, I think it was called. She was actually on the Titanic, and she's known for having uh, challenging what was going on with the uh, sh uh, ship's crew and so forth. The picture above is her lead role in Dolores Claiborne, and I, I, I recommend that, especially if you're a Stephen King lover, although it's not, you know, maybe the traditional Stephen King, it's King movie. It's more of a Hitchcockian tale, uh, uh, and she's fantastic in the lead role. But Kathy Bates is another person who I'd love to study her biography and learn more about her. Here's a name that you probably don't even know. But every time I see her in a movie or a TV show, TV series, 
I, I like her immediately. It's Judy Gear. And it's not like a sexual thing. It's not like, for instance, uh, the uh, I'm trying to remember her name now. When you get old, you forget names so fucking fast. Uh, but the woman who's with her in that movie, 13 going on 30, uh, she's she's hot. And I, so I would see her in any movie just because she's hot. Judy Gear is not, in, in my opinion, hot. She's just a fucking phenomenal actress. The picture on the left is her in the George Clooney movie called The Descendants, where she plays the wife of a man who was having an affair with George Clooney's wife. And in the small role that she had there, she fucking knocked it out of the park at a very phenomenal emotional scene at the end uh, of the movie. If you ever get a chance to watch that movie, I highly recommend it. The, uh, the Descendants. And really, anything that Judy Gear is in, she's going to really hit it out of the park. All right. A lot of comments have been made on actors uh, who kind of fit this category. And so I'm going to scroll up and try to capture some of them. Uh, Willem Dafoe <laughs> is a name that came out prominently. And Foster says, Dafoe is doing Medicare commercials now. No, don't tell me that, Foster. <laughs> I mean, he still gets you know big money. He must he must need the money if he's doing a Medicare commercial because he's still being cast in movies. Uh, Val Kilmer's name came up. Val Kilmer uh, was, with the exception of some movies, but Val Kilmer was mostly a leading man in in most of his movies. Uh, it was Boys in the Hood. Thank you, C Sharp. Thank you, Zach Sullivan, and the other people who told me that was the first movie Cuba Gooding was in, at least the first movie of any acclaim. Excellent, excellent movie. But I remember being in the theater watching and I'm saying, you know what? I, I can't live this life. I think I could have told the story better, uh, but nonetheless, it, it was a good movie and deserves the praise that it gets. Um, Cuba Gooding was good in radio, absolutely. Uh, Rod Tidwell, okay, was the name. How about Peter Weller, says Cliff Victoria. Peter Weller coming back decades after Buckaroo Bonza to play in Star Trek. That's a good name, although I think Peter Weller, he was Australian. Did he come here with RoboCop? Uh, wasn't that one of his first movies and was really immediately billed as the leading uh, star? So I don't know. I don't know if he's just quite in this category that I'm looking for. Matt Dillon is a guy who... To me, he's, again, more of the leading man. His brother, the guy that was in the Entourage, is more of the character that I'm thinking of. Uh, what the fuck is his name? He was in uh, Platoon as a young guy. But nonetheless, um, Gladiator Boxing Movie, Chicago Beats Movie. Uh, nonetheless, it, it, uh, both of those guys are, are worth mentioning. John Goodman is a great name, Bob. John Goodman is rarely ever the leading man in a movie. He's the supporting actor, great character voice. You know, he does a lot of voiceovers for commercials. And as soon as it pops on, you know, that's John Goodman. And, you know, he was, uh, of course, people know him most from uh, his role on the Roseanne show. And that was, he was a co-star on that show. But in movies, he was mostly that supporting character, that character actor. And he always hit it out of the uh, ballpark, always did. Um, let's see, who else? Philip Seymour Hoffman. There you go, Mr. Ma'am. Excellent, excellent name. This guy has to be 
in this category that I'm talking about right now, the John Casales, the 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 Carol guy that uh, uh, Dan Aguirre came up with, I would put Phyllis, Philip Seymour Hoffman in that category too. Top 10. There's no doubt about it. I would love to watch a documentary on his life. This guy was the type of guy who could play fucking anything. He could play the the guy in Boogie Nights who was the production assistant who had gay feelings for the Mark Wahlberg uh, movie. He could play a lead role, the Truman Capote movie in, his, in the biography of the famous writer. He could play anything in between. He was in the, uh, he played like a, a, a faith healer in the master with, uh, gosh, I should have prepared for this, but uh, uh, because I forget names at my fucking age, it's, it's awful. Uh, not River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, in The Master, he was the co-star with Joaquin Phoenix. If you've never seen that movie, if you like movies that you know have a meditative pace to them, the visuals are extraordinary, the story is haunting, I highly rec recommend you watch The Master. It's a movie by P.T. Anderson uh, and um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman it deserves to be in that top 10 of the special category. I wish I had a name for it. Um, yeah, Hoffman was good. Ma'am, uh, let's see who else. Muck Muck says, James Caan and Wesley Snipes are two great actors who've been blackballed in the industry. I didn't know that about James Caan. I knew that about Wesley Snipes, primarily because he had trouble with the law, but there were been some other uh, unconfirmed stories about some of his behavior getting high and stuff like that. So I don't know. Um, OJ and the Naked Gun was outstanding. John C. Riley, Ah, Zach, bing, 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 bing. He, he deserves mention in the special category too. There's no doubt about it. Mr. Mayhem says that Jim uh, Cavizio has been blackballed blacklisted too. Yeah, I think uh, like him and James Woods because of their extremist far-right views, Hollywood uh, has not been anxious to uh, cast those guys in movies. Foster says, uh, James, the first time I saw Morgan Freeman was on Channel 11 of the Electric Company. <laughs> Same here, Foster. That's where I remember the first encounter I had with Morgan Freeman. He was on, I think he was on Sesame Street and the Electric Company maybe, but uh, that's where he started, New York actor, got uh, a break to be on those PBS shows and did a, a phenomenal job, and then his career just took off. And I think, you know, I, I was thinking about Morgan Freeman, too. Does he deserve to be in this category? But he's become such a huge star. He's never been a, well, I, I shouldn't say never been a leading man because he has been a leading man as he played a detective in one movie, uh, the bones, something bones, but he, 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 his popularity is so big that I don't know if he deserves to be in this category, but maybe I'm wrong. It's a very vague thing. Scrolling down for, uh, oh yeah, Kathy Bates, Demond uh, Dicey says, Kathy Bates was funny in Bad Santa too. Absolutely. She's got comedic chops too. She's the type of a woman that can do anything. And thank you, Larry T. It is Jennifer Garner, who I will see in anything because she's so damn cute. She's the woman who was in that photograph with uh, 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 Judy Greer. So uh, Jennifer Garner, love you. Uh, come on over to my house when my wife is out of town and we can talk about your next movie. Uh, 
Judy Greer was in Halloween. Yes, you're right, but not the original Halloween. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Mayhem. Wasn't she in one of the other Halloween movies? Um, Bad Santa 2 was very funny. Scrolling for some more comments here is uh, Defoe is one sinister looking son of a bitch. There's no doubt about it. He played in a movie. Um, there's a movie about the life of of James Whale, who was one of these early movie directors from the 20s and 30s. He did Frankenstein, The Invisible Man. And um, Defoe played the Nosferatu character, uh, which is the Dracula character. Nosferatu was the German name for it. And so uh, that was an early silent movie in the, in the late 1920s and, and in the about 20 years ago, Defoe played that Nosferatu character and the actor who played that character in a movie. I've never seen it. I have the DVD. You know, it's one of those movies. I want to be in the right mood for it. And here it is 20 years later. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> Stanley Tucci is a great fucking name. He's on that top 10 list, Mr. Mayhem. Excellent choice. Excellent, excellent choice. Stanley Tucci is... That supporting act, I don't know if I've ever seen Stanley Tucci in a lead role. I'm not saying that he hasn't been, but I don't think I've seen a movie where Tucci was the lead actor. But he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, Nomad is right. Jamie Foxx, if he's not the most talented cat in Hollywood, he's got to be in the top two or three, right? No doubt about it. Uh, James Earl Jones, uh, James Earl Jones, even... Uh, I don't know what that means about his voice, but uh, just bringing up the James Earl Jones name, I had to stop because he's one of Hollywood's, one of the world's greatest actors and one of the greatest voice talents. Uh, oh, there you go, Mr. Mayhem. Mr. Mayhem knows his movies here. William Finkter is an underrated actor. Yes, William Finkter. Uh, did you guys ever see the movie Go? And if you haven't, check it out. I forgot the name of the director, but he's done gone on to do a lot of great movies. This was one of his first movies. It's a, it's a story about a drug deal told from the point of view of four separate characters. And William Finkter in Finkter, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he plays a a a uh, a guy who is pretending to be a salesman from like an Amway company, but he's really an undercover cop. It's the fucking funniest thing ever, and it's just a really, really cool movie. The movie's called Go. Definitely check it out. Harvey Keitel is an excellent name. Again, Demond Dicey uh, knows his movies. How about Chaz Palminteri, Jay Gris? That's another excellent name. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, de he deserves to be on that top ten list. I would leave Harvey Keitel out of it, Demond, because I think – his popularity is so strong that people immediately know Harvey Keitel. But then again, he he's done so many great things as a supporting character. You look at his role in Pulp Fiction as Mr. the Mr. Wolf character. Uh, you look at him as the uh, uh, pimp and taxi driver. There's been other supporting actor roles. So maybe he deserves to be on the list too. Robert Duvall, excellent, excellent candidate. Brian Cranston, excellent candidate. J.K. Simmons in the Spider-Man trilogy. J.K. Simmons in anything that he's done. If Did you ever see the HBO series Oz? It was, it was fucking 
when it first came out, I want to say it was 19, early 1990s. But boy, you talk about breaking a lot of rules. Guys walking around with their dicks out in jail and so forth. The hard life of uh, uh, prison life with you know people, men being raped by other prisoners and stuff. Uh, it's it's amazing. And J.K. Simmons was the leader of the Aryan white Aryan uh, gang inside the prison. Wow, sinister performance. Really, really good. Um, Let's see. No, uh, Foster is right. It's not William Defoe doing those commercials. It's William Devane in the commercials. That's right. I actually just saw a William Devane movie, Rolling Thunder, where he plays a guy coming back. It's a, a really dark kind of taxi driver movie. He comes back from the war and finds out that his wife has been fucking his best friend and she's leaving him because he was a prisoner of war for like three, three, four years. And so she felt like well, he's dead and so forth. And what ensues after that is like taxi driver, that last scene in taxi driver, the carnage. Well, that, well that's what happens in this movie. Uh, so it makes sense that Paul Schrader who wrote both of those movies was behind the, uh, that movie uh, rolling thunder. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Foster says William Devane could play any role. Absolutely. He played President Kennedy in, I think it was a TV series about the October missile crisis. Uh, J2K says Killer of the Flower Moon was the way, although, was that way, although, but I didn't connect to the actor's roles. Interesting. Dan Aguirre is a huge, huge fan of that film. I, I have not seen it yet. I'm a little bit afraid because of the running time, three hours, and being in a movie theater for three hours. And, and you know, at 65 years old, I'm kind of waiting for it to be uh, 65 years old, like I'm fucking an old man and shit. I don't shit in my pants or anything. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you never know. It could happen while I'm watching Killers of the Flower Moon. So <laughs> Rita Moreno is a great, great name. Great fucking name. And I've seen some old black and white movies when she was like 19 years old. Oh, my gosh. My own. <laughs> God, ow. <laughs> wow. She was sexy. And she went on uh, West Side Story was her big break and went on to do a lot of movies. She's she, I, she's somebody I would put in that list. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Ving Rames. Ving Rames is an excellent, excellent name. Co-star in a lot of uh, the Mission Impossible movies and Pulp Fiction. He had that fucking great role as, uh, uh, what the hell was his name in Pulp Fiction? Somebody help me out. Eric Roberts is a good name. Uh, that that dude in the green mouth who unalived the mouse. Don't, don't know his name. No, man, who are you talking? Oh, you're talking about the big, Black guy who was a bodyguard here in Chicago, and then when uh he had three names, Duncan something, da 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 Duncan, whatever, and he died way too early. Is that who you're talking about? I think that is. Randy Quaid is a good name, definitely. And now Randy Quaid has turned into like a weirdo. He's got a long, butchy beard. He's like has has no money or something like that. So I'd love to know more about what happened to him. Um. Let's see. Uh, Mr. Shorty says, I am friends with Mike Myers from the Rob Zombie movies. Dude is enormous. What do you mean by that? I'm friends with Mike Myers. Oh, you're talking about the actor who plays Mike Myers. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Gary Oldman, excellent, excellent, excellent choice. Love him in anything he does. And if the movie's not good, I still love Gary Oldman. That's that's the type of actor we're talking about. He's a British actor, too, and always pulls off great American accents, whether he's playing a uh, political person in that one movie where he is against the... Um, Jesus, there's, there's an actor, and I'm forgetting her name too, but she is being appointed to be vice president because the vice president died, and Gary Oldman plays a con very conservative Southern congressman who won't, doesn't think a woman should be at, in the White House, and he's just fucking phenomenal in that movie. Uh, let's see, uh, Gary Goldman was great as Jim Go. Oh, commissioner. Gordon, yes. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah, he's good in anything. Goldman is phenomenal. Uh, Danny McBride, I don't know who Walton uh, Goggins is. Um, again, another vote for Chaz. Oh, good choice here, Zach. Dennis Farina, former Chicago police officer, was hired to be a consultant slash kind of uh, extra supporting character in some police movie being filmed here in Chicago. I think it was either a Steven Seagal movie or a Chuck Norris movie that was filming here in Chicago. Uh, and then he loved the acting thing and left the police force. It started getting hired like immediately and it's left his mark. He's an excellent choice. Uh, let's see. Kim Coates. I don't really know who Kim Coates is, uh, Mr. Mayhem. William H. Macy, another great fucking name. William H. Macy. By the way, have you seen the latest news? His wife, Felicity, Huff, Felicity Huffman, was just released from jail. She cheated. She was responsible for her daughter's uh, college application. There was a bunch of false information on it. Felicity Huffman wrote it. And that story is wild, and the fact that William H. Macy is no in no way connected with this cheating scandal. Great job, Mr. Macy. <laughs> great job. Oh, Steve Buscemi. Yes. 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 God damn. If I were making a movie about John Cazell, I would cast Steve Buscemi. Maybe he's a little too old now, but that's a great, great choice. Ked says uh, Steve Buscemi's teeth, not so much. <laughs> uh, uh, how about Luis Guzman? I love Luis Guzman. Puerto Rican, New York Rican. Uh, probably his family knew my family. <laughs> and I got to tell you, man, that is the, the ugliest Puerto Rican I've ever seen in my life. But he is a great fucking actor, a great fucking actor. Uh, Demand says, Aldo, are you into Mad Max movies, and have you seen the trailer? Yes, for the new one, fucking A. I saw the very first Mad Max movie, I think when I was either in college or coming out of college, and I said, holy shit, this is a phenomenal movie. You know, low budget, Australian made, the, that guy that plays Mad Max, what a fabulous presence he has, and then... Years later, when the Road Warrior came out, holy fuck. I, I think I went to the McClure Court three times uh, the first week it was released to see it. Brought my friends. You got to see this movie and stuff. The Mad Max movies, uh, the Road Warrior movies are phenomenal. And the man behind the first one and the last one 
is George Miller, the director, phenomenal visionary. That last one, I forgot the title, but it's with Charlize Theron and uh, Hardy, Tom Hardy. That is probably from a visual extravaganza perspective, the most amazing movie I've ever seen. The most fucking amazing movie. If you don't like, you know, super violent, high action movies, I still beg you, implore you, go watch it. Turn off the volume. Wear some some earplugs or whatever, but just watch the visuals or rent the Blu-ray. Watch it. You got to watch it in high quality. That movie is so fucking phenomenal. And the, George Miller, the director from those movies and other movies, he did... Um, the second, uh, what's the name of that pig movie? Fuck, fuck is the name of the pig movie? Pig, pig goes to town or something like that. Uh, whatever the name of it is. But if you watch that second movie, you see his style. It's, it's this frenetic, kinetic energy to his the way he shoots movies. Uh, George Miller, and there's two George Millers who are directors out there. Don't, don't confuse them because one is way better than the other one. Anyways, uh, Vinnie Jones is a great, great name. Uh, uh, definitely. Yeah, Tom Hanks. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Tom Hanks, to me, is the, is the best. Uh, one of the best. I hate to say the best or favorite or anything because that always changes, right? But Tom Hanks, to me, he's up there with the legendary great American actors from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s. If you're going to build a Mount Rushmore for actors, you got to consider having Tom Hanks in there because he's been so great. Billy Connolly is another good name. Absolutely British actor. Very funny. Jeff Bridges is a, is a leading man. Uh, but in his latter years, he's been doing more supporting roles. And so he he uh, he's a good name um, to bring up. Uh, any actor in a Cohen's movie, man, that's 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 good uh, because Cohen, the Cohen brothers know how to flesh out these supporting character roles. There's no doubt about it. They do a good job. Some directors do that, and some don't even pay fucking pay attention to them. Don't even talk to them on the set. J.T. Walsh is an excellent, excellent name. Emmett Walsh is also an excellent name. John Leguizamo, a Colombian slash Puerto Rican, I believe he is. Uh, excellent, excellent name. Um, let's see. Nick Nolte, rich man, poor man. Nick Nolte, I see, I wouldn't put him into this character because he was the poor man, so he was the title character, and the rich man was uh, Peter Strauss. But for you young bloods up out there, Foster and I remember Rich Man, Poor Man. It was a five-night ABC miniseries, and all of the country was tuned in to watch that. And then Roots came out after that, and then all of the country and part of the, the world came out to watch that. That was a great, great stuff. Um, Kim Coates was in Waterworld. I did not see. The Last Boy Scout. I vaguely remember great opening football scene, uh, but the rest of the movie, I think that the the, the uh, alcohol and marijuana set in, so I don't remember much of that. And I have the entire DVD set of Sons of Anarchy. Got to get to it. Got to get to it. Yes, I agree with this uh, C-sharp. Tom Hanks is the new Jimmy Stewart. That's an excellent, excellent comparison. Absolutely. 
Uh, Walter Goggins isn't justified, and I saw season one, The Shield, I've never seen, The Righteous Gemstones, I've never seen, and Vice Principles. So I'm going to get on that, Mr. Mayhem. I like your taste and stuff, so I'm going to give that a shot. John Hamm is a leading actor. He's, he's a leading actor and, and one of my favorite actors. What The work that he did on Mad Men is phenomenal, so I wouldn't put him in that. Here's a good one. Frank Vincent in the Scorsese movies. Yes. Let me see if I can find a picture of him real quick. Uh, Frank Vincent, if I remember the story correctly, he may have been uh, in the mob sometime in his life. So this guy was acting with, uh, um, you know, based on some, some real life experiences. I, I may be wrong on that, so please don't, uh, don't hold me to that. But I just found a really cool picture of him, and I'm going to download it now. Frank Vincent is an excellent example of that character actor. You'll know him as soon as, soon as I put this picture up. Oh, yeah, that's Frank Vincent. Yeah, that's Frank Vincent. Awesome. Awesome, awesome in mob movies, Scorsese movies. You know, I don't know if you can cast this other this guy in any other role than a bad guy, right? <laughs> maybe a judge. Maybe. Maybe a, 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 a sadistic cop, Maybe, but you're not going to cast him as the father of the teenage daughter, right? You're not going to cast him as the friendly counselor at school. No, not Frank Vincent. No way. Uh, Hugo Weaving. Yes. Yeah, I love Hugo Weaving. I love his voice. Oh, my gosh. Hugo Weaving, uh, The Matrix. Absolutely. Now, it will be hard for me to mention other Hugo Weaving movies. I know he's been in at least two other movies that I've seen, but I just don't remember them. So uh, let's see. Paul Giamatti. C-Sharp, uh, I was thinking about adding him to my list. But he's become such a strong leading man. I don't know if you guys watched the, the Showtime series, uh, Billion... What's it called? Billions. Yeah, Billions. And um, he's the leading star on that movie. He's been a, a, a lead actor in a number of other movies. When his f career first started, like he was in private parts, he, paid, he played Pig Vomit. He was a supporting character there, and I could tell immediately from that role, this guy's a fucking good actor. I think that's the first time I remember in a movie. And then his career just took off after that. He's, he's a, a great name. I'm glad you... Uh, you pointed him out. I wish you would have pointed him out when uh, Dan was here because for some reason, Dan Aguirre doesn't like Paul Giamatti. Like, what's wrong with you? The guy's good. Is it because he was related to the baseball commissioner? He's his son? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. I should probably do type, should do typecast it next time. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Um, all right, sc scrolling here real quickly so we can get out of here. Uh, Robert Loisia, good name. Christopher Lloyd is a very good name. Uh, Andy Garcia. Uh, by the way, my wife told me, I fell in love with you because you reminded me of a Andy Garcia. And I go, there's no fucking part of me that's, that's like Andy Garcia. <laughs> Not anything. But if you think so, that's fine by me. Christopher Walken, Steve Buscemi, Christopher Lloyd, all good names. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, guys, uh, that's our show for tonight. Uh, I want to uh, just shout out uh, Johnny Santucci. We missed you. I hope you are feeling well. And uh, Dan Aguirre, you are the absolute best. 
at this whole podcasting thing. You're, you're phenomenal. Oh, th- you know what? I actually, because we ran out of time, I didn't. Um, David Morse, good name. Andy Griffin, no. <laughs> um, all right, I wanna, I wanna share something with you guys before we get out of here. Still, some people in the house. You know, there have been these um, the television networks no longer immediately show injuries in sports events. When I grew up. They were fucking looking for replays, and if they found the replay of the guy's leg snapping in half, they would show it. And then it was an outcry, you know, some, you know, people started complaining, and over time it's gotten much more vociferous, uh, people complaining about showing that stuff. I don't mind it, and maybe it's my old-fashioned way that I was grew up. I'm fi- I'm. F- fascinated by it. I want to see the car crash. I want to see the guy's head decapitated. And I know I sound sick. And guess what? I am. But but truly, I I I don't I don't know. I, I, I grapple with this myself. I don't know if you know we should be so sensitive to this stuff. It happens. So I'm gonna show you a couple of clips of stuff that happened this weekend. I was reluctant to show them. Yeah, Joe Theismann, exactly. Um, and Kathy Griffin too. Yes, <laughs> holding Trump's head. <laughs> but so I, I'm going to show you some graphic stuff. Two things that happened this weekend. Uh, the first one is the punter from the Titans, Ryan Stonehouse. They showed it on the replay, and then they said we're not going to show it again because it's too graphic and stuff. So of course, I'm going to rewind this and fucking videotape it, and I'm going to show it on Tuesday's show. Here it is: the punter, Ryan uh, Stonehouse. You just fucking broke your leg. Look at that! Holy shit, man! That was one of the things when I played sports as a kid. That was one of the things that fe- that I was fearful of is somebody pushing back on my knee. And lo and behold, it happened. I'm in gym class, my senior year of high school. I go in to lay a spike, I fucking spike it, and the guy who was trying to block it falls into my knee and fucking bends it the other way. I fucking limped out of the gym and went straight to the doctors. Um, met a really cute girl there, but that's the end of that story. So. Uh, any thoughts on Ryan Stonehouse? Do you think we should be watching? <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> Do you think it's okay for the networks to show this? Do you think that – fuck the networks. If I see it and I record it, do you think it's okay for me to put up on social media as long as I put graphic? You pussies who can't take this, don't watch this. As long as I warn people. Uh, because I've done that. Yes, I am a sick bastard. No, no man, you got me right, man. I'm very sick. Wait till the next one I show you. <laughs> and Mr. Shorty is right. Those kinds of injuries are life changing. Yes, they make me happier. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So this one was the the announcers specifically said we're not going to show this one because it's somebody in the sidelines and it's just gruesome. And so, of course, I had to fucking rewind, and then I found the clip, and then I zoomed in, and I want to make sure all of us see it. This was from the uh, Monday night game. It was a Sunday night. It was one game. Anyways, Lions and Saints. And look at the leg on that poor sideline worker. You didn't see it? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm going to zoom in for you right now. Here, at least I did this. 
The guy was fucking wailing and crying. At least I cut the audio out. All right. But just in case you missed it, here it is again. <laughs> Running back goes out, gets the guy, clips his knee, and look at that fucking knee. It is bent in the way. And, and then Kamara just walks away. He says, let me take one last look at it before I walk away. And what is that hole? Is that a hole in your sock? Anyway, um, I wanted to talk with Dan about it. I I sent the first clip of the punter to Dan. I said, hey, do you mind if we, sh if I show you this uh, on the show Tuesday we talk about it? He goes, no, all right, what I mind. So he's as sick as I am. I think he's actually sicker. <laughs> uh, never climb a ladder around. <laughs> yeah, I'm the type of guy where if I see you fall, I'm going to say, hold on. Can you do that again? I want to get it on my camera. <laughs> You know, I when I was in college, I remember uh, I was in a class, and the professor, you know, it was it was a class about documentaries from World War II and the Korean War and stuff. And he brought up the topic of you know journalists, photojournalists have the dilemma: if they see something bad, should they put the camera down and go help the person, or do they keep filming because that's their job? Keep filming. <laughs> Never got a fucking girl in that class. It was over. It was over. <laughs> Should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Uh, three hours and 15 minutes. And without the Tooch, again, Tooch, I hope you're well. And uh, Dan Aguirre, um, thank you very much for all you do. And tomorrow is Wednesday. Oh, my gosh. Buffon 55 is going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Danny Shimon is going to break some tape down on Montez Sweat. He's got four or five clips he's going to break down to show you and anyone else that you want to invite to the party uh, what the effect that Montez Sweat has had on Chicago Bears defensive line. Along with that, uh, John Buffon is going to open the show with his five rants, talk a little bit about what he did during the time off, and uh, we've got some great discussion with Alyssa Barrieri and Dan on all the latest news, Eric Bieniemy, those rumors, uh, these last five games. Lots to talk about on tomorrow's episode of Buffon 55, which starts at 7.30. Working backwards at 6 o'clock, Mac and Reed, they're going to talk about the latest Bears news and also touch on what's happening in the NBA and popular culture. And then before that, at 2 o'clock, it is my man Vinny Parisi and my other man Frank Mueller talking about NHL hockey. If you're a hockey fan, check it out. If you've got nothing to do, don't fucking put on porn. Watch Vinny and Frank <laughs> and fantasize about them. <laughs> ah, all right. So Foster, you get the final word. Like Jack would say, if you leave the if you leave the camera rolling, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me. You guys are the absolute best. I really appreciate your support of the Barroom Network. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.